Hey guys, Tim here, host of 20 Years of Nitro, popping in before this episode just to let you guys know that um, you probably noticed in past episodes we've had uh, just some issues with like kind of clicks and pops that are happening with our microphones. Uh, in our most recent episode, the World War III episode, it stopped happening and I thought that I'd figured it out and uh, when we recorded this time I tested it before we recorded and I didn't find any and then... Lo and behold, after we recorded the episode, I went through, and uh, it's it's actually gotten worse than before, um, so it's pretty noticeable in this episode. It almost sounds like you're listening to us on a, a bad record, like it's the kind of pops and clicks that you get with a record. Um, I, I still think it's, it's not too distracting, and I know last time I recorded something before an episode and, and warned about the audio quality that people told me that I was overreacting, um, but I just wanted to get a note out that uh, it is kind of an issue on this episode, and that we are going to definitely look at ways at uh, fixing it for future episodes. Um, overall, though, I think the episode's great. We've got a great guest this week, and it's a really fun episode. I think you're going to like it. Uh, but just so you know that we are aware of the uh, the microphone issues, and we will work to address them. Have a good one. Enjoy the episode. December 29th between Rowdy Roddy Piper and Hollywood Hulk Hogan. You know, you've got to give the kudos to Roddy Piper. He said he was going to sign. He came out last night and he got it signed, but he paid a heavy price. He really did pay a heavy price. As a matter of fact, Eric Bischoff led the contingent out for the New World Order. There was confrontations all over the place last night. As a matter of fact, the confrontation started with Piper and Eric Bischoff and ended with Piper and Hollywood Hulk Hogan. We will show you that interview, that contract signing in its entirety as it happened last night, but it has been signed, and we'll be telling you how you can be a part of this mega event. Finally, the match of the decade has been signed. In addition here, fans, tonight, we will begin the tournament to crown a new United States heavyweight champion. You may know, and I'm sure you do, the Giant is walking around with that title belt. He does not own that title belt, and the WCW Championship Committee realizes because of the injury to Ric Flair, we must now crown a new champ. Two first-round matches here tonight in this two-hour program. Well, the tournament's the only fair way. Again, the Giant took off with the belt. It is not legally or rightfully his. Welcome to where the big boys play. Welcome to 20 years of Nitro. Our week... Our chronological breakdown of World Championship Wrestling's flagship show, where each episode is viewed, reviewed, analyzed, and categorized as we compile an audio anthology of our tour along the southern front of Wrestling's Monday Night Wars. I am your host, Tim Root, and with me, <laughs> as always, 
It's my broadcast colleague, Dave Amantorp. How are you doing this week, Dave? I'm doing good. Um, I felt like we had a very, like, like it was their sort of pay-per-view that just went by of World War Three. Yeah. I haven't, I've not li- w- quite listened to it yet because we did a very unique thing in which we did like the live plate, like uh, we did our play. live commentary. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure how that went off. I haven't really seen, has anyone reacted to that yet or have you read no anything? No one is, I mean, people have said it was a good episode. No one has, has told me they actually watched it with the commentary. If you have, please hit us up and, and let us yeah. know if you like that. Or I was just interested if the commentary without watching makes sense. Oh, sure. Um, probably not. It was probably just a total mess. People probably skipped a good 45 minutes of the episode. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, if you enjoyed the rest, then that's a positive. <laughs> We also have a special guest with us this week who you may have seen wrestling all over the country, including matches in Rockstar Pro, Beyond Wrestling, IWA Deep South, and of course, Shakara. He is the gore lord of Eastern Europe, the man with more chops than Ric Flair, the Sowboy Spam Hampson, the Heart Bacon Kid, the Feast Hawk Lesnar, the other Fight Meat, the Big Hog, Keel Basahiro Chono, the Master of the Baby Back Body Drop, the only wrestler proud to be a ham and egger, Pig Daddy Cool himself, the proletariat boar of Moldova. Welcome to the shore, the show, boar. <laughs> that is quite the collection of nicknames. Uh, <laughs> Welcome to the shores of Mighty Nitro. <laughs> yeah, I may have, uh, I, I kind of got started with some pig puns and I may have gone a little overboard. Not at all. Those were all excellent. <laughs> I'm going to need to rip those for sound and just drop them into my entrance theme. Yeah, beginning. feel free to use any of those that you like. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm particularly proud of Kilbasa Hero Chono. That, that, was, that, that, was, that was the one I liked, too. Uh, Bor, why don't you tell everyone, what, what's your history, your personal history with WCW? Were you were a fan back in the day. Is this something you've gotten into on the network? Or kind of what's your deal with WCW? No, as a baby Bor, grew up uh, probably equally both a WCW and a WWF kid. Um, I think my first action figures were like Ultimate Warrior, British Bulldog, but also Sting and Ron Simmons and Arn Anderson. So, uh, pretty fifty-fifty, pretty much fifty-fifty split between uh, the two companies. Um, and then, as a baby boy, moved down, uh, moved down south a little bit and uh, into the Virginia area. And uh, a lot of WCW influence uh, creeped in there. Um, lost cable for a little bit, so I was a big WCW syndication kid. Um, sure. And now I'm able to catch back up with the Nitros, and I've, I've completely caught back up with the uh, the award-winning WWE Network. <laughs> um, so very happy to see uh, to see this podcast and the success it's had, and uh, honored to be on. Now, were there any WCW live events that you attended as a as a young boar, as a squealing uh, piglet? My first live event was WCW Slamboree '94. Uh, oh, nice in Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, so I remember Rick Rude being hurt, how disappointed I was. Um, I went to the Slamboree Fest also, which was the day before, and I had my picture with Sting and, uh, got to meet me and Oakland, a whole bunch of people. So, uh, oh, that's w- awesome. yeah, w- WCW was my first wrestling experience, uh, live. And then, uh, for the show you guys just covered World War three, I remember my uncle told me that he would take me to World War three, but I had to ride on the back of his Harley. And as like a seven-year-old, I was a little a little spaced out by that, so I declined the offer. But I uh, should have took him up on it. I don't know. I, uh, after watching that show, you might have been okay. I mean, yeah, I guess you could have seen uh, Ultimo Dragon versus Rey Mysterio. That might have made it. And you know what? Live that sixty-man battle royal was probably a lot better than it was on TV. Yeah, it yeah. couldn't have been worse. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. So uh, a question that I I like I like 
I like to ask when it comes to people that were watching during the Monday Night Wars um, is so how, how exactly did you watch the shows? Did you did were you a person that liked to click back and forth? Did you like record one to watch later or how did you end up watching them? Well, sadly, I didn't have cable for the Monday Night War, so I was I relied heavily on syndication. So oh, okay. my Saturdays were I had WCW Worldwide on at like one o'clock in the afternoon, and then Saturday nights usually we would get uh, Shotgun Saturday night um, around ten or eleven o'clock at night. Um, so that's how I had to keep up with uh, the Monday Night Wars uh, was Saturday syndication. Wow, that's a challenge yeah. right there. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know the like the strangest answer I've read was uh ryback and ryback said that he had two tvs and he watched them at the same time wow (laughs) which i i feel like i feel like that explains ryback quite a lot i think i've gone into this on the show before i certainly have on twitter i didn't come i had kind of been out of wrestling for about five years i came back in 99 Mm -hmm. and by then the gulf between these two companies was such that i didn't watch a lot of wcw oh i would sometimes catch the first uh hour the unopposed third hour yeah, um, but once Raw started, I was kind of right there, and then in commercials, I would briefly see what was happening over on TNT. Yeah, so it's been—I'm uh, just having so much fun seeing all this for the first time because I'd read and heard so much about it. Uh, before we get into today's show, though, I do want to remind everyone that you can follow us on Twitter at Twenty Years of Nitro. You can check us out on Facebook at Facebook.com/slash Twenty Years of Nitro, and of course, you can always email the show at Twenty Years of Nitro at gmail.com. Today is November 25th, 1996, and we are coming to you live from the Wicamico Civic Center in Salisbury, Maryland, in front of 3,278 fans who paid a total gate of $38,365. Uh, Nitro has been in this building one other time back in February 19th, and this is the 63rd episode of Monday Nitro. It is the night after the World War III pay-per-view as we begin the build towards December 29th's Starcade. It's been a while, Dave, since uh, we talked about the intro of Nitro, but uh, you've still got Red and Yellow Hulk Hogan. Yep. You've still got... Uh, Blonde Sting. Blonde Sting. You've still got Randy Savage, who is not with the company right now. Right. Uh, you know, when Vader left the company, he was... I think he was in there for the, like, the first two weeks, I want to say, of the intro, and then they replaced him with Luger. Yeah. Uh, but they are really sticking with, <laughs> with these old Hulk Hogan and Sting. Well, I mean, especially since uh, with Hogan and Sting, like... Their, their, the visual appearance changing is yeah. very significant to their character right now. Right, and the fact that we still have red and yellow Hogan and also blonde Sting, I mean, because he was still he was kind of doing like at least like the brown hair. Yeah, he grew out his natural hair color quite yeah. a while ago. Yeah, so these are very dated. Tony welcomes us to the show to the East Coast and to the Delmarva Peninsula and Salisbury, Maryland, and for our number one of two hours live with the superstars of World Championship Wrestling. Tony and Larry celebrate the match that is finally signed. Roddy Roddy Piper and Hulk Hogan, who are going to meet at Starcade, And we see uh, some stills of Piper's confrontation with the New World Order from last night's pay-per-view. Tony says that we are going to see that contract signing in full. And boy, do we ever see it in full <laughs> later tonight. We certainly do. <laughs> also tonight, we're going to be starting a tournament for the vacant United States Championship. Tony reminds us that the giant has the belt but is not the champion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to see the first uh, two round match. Uh, we're going to see two of the first round matches yes. tonight. And Tony and Larry put over Lex Luger for, I guess, almost beating the NWO last night. He put in a solid effort. They do this thing throughout the show where they talk about him as if he was this champion. We saw this like 
just great side of him last night. They really want to make sure that despite the fact that he lost the match, that you still come away with the idea that he was triumphant at the pay-per-view regardless. Yeah. yeah, although he was runner-up, and that's like all the 59 other guys are runners-up, you know? <laughs> Unless you're the Giant, you, you got nothing out of it. <laughs> There's only one winner. Right. Now, I understand, Dave, that you have a uh, you've got the bracket for the tournament, which is not something they show us in the actual program. Yeah. And I don't I mean, throughout this whole show, we'd never get an indication as far as what the United States Championship Tournament looks like. We don't know how many rounds there are, who's in it. Right. Et cetera. Um, But you've got that information. Yes. And then uh, just for the record, Ric Flair's last match was on a house show on September 29th. Wow. So they sure they took their time to address this issue as far yeah. as to be champion. <laughs> yeah, it seems like they gave the belt to the giant and weren't exactly sure what they were going to do, how far they were going to go with mm. a storyline with him having the belt. Yeah. And I think they've just ultimately decided to kind of abandon it. I mean, he meant he has a promo later um, and he still has the belt, but it seems like they're not going in a long term direction with him uh, holding it illegally or whatever you want to say. Right. <laughs> um, so it's going to end up being an eight man tournament. And the tournament matches are as follows. Uh, we have, and this is going to be, this is how they're bracketed too. Um, so it's Lex Luger versus Arn Anderson, which is going to be our first match. Uh, then we have Diamond Dallas Page versus Jeff Jarrett. Uh, Chris Benoit versus Lord Steven Regal. And then Eddie Guerrero versus Conan, which will be the other first round match we will see this evening. Um, so I, I think it's a I think it's a good lineup as far as the eight wrestlers are concerned. It's yeah. kind of, it's a little... I mean, I suppose, like, storyline-wise, it would make sense that WCW's like, we're not going to put NWO guys in there if we don't have to. Yeah. You know, but it, it seems a little unusual that, that, that the NWO is not represented at all um, or or that the Giant doesn't want to, like, you know, like the winner faces the Giant or something. like. They might, maybe they'll do that later on. I have no idea. But. Yeah, it kind of brings to mind who put this tournament together, who decided the the entrance because we've got, I think we've got this issue, and, and we'll get to it a little bit later in the show, but with Eric Bischoff coming out and saying he's the highest executive in both the NWO and WCW. Right. So who is making the decisions? Can he override? Can he put... Why is this not a tournament of um, Vincent versus Six? <laughs> the mysterious you know. uh, championship committee. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Does the committee still exist? Uh, Maybe, because that would explain what's happening here. Yeah. But I feel like when they do something as earth-shattering as making Bischoff a part of the NWO, we need some explanation as to, like, the organizational structure of World Who can do what and why and who has veto power? Right now, I I feel a little lost in the dark. And so things like why isn't an NWO member in this tournament are a little inexplicable. Yeah. Or also, he could say, well, as far as I'm concerned, the Giants champion, you have to come and get the belt from him. Yeah. That sort of thing. Although later on, Tony Schiavone suggests like, oh, we could just make another championship, (laughs) (laughs) which was like, it was kind of a letdown because it's like a brand new belt would be nice. Yeah. And that's not what we're getting. That's just a suggestion. I thought that was really funny. I've got it in my notes, but this is a good time to talk about it. I thought that was really funny because throughout kayfabe history, there's so many instances of this person has the belt and we've got to get it back. And the fact that someone acknowledged like, we could just make a new one (laughs) and then that's the belt and we the one he has is fake we all know that it is right so the it was like a little kayfabe breaking but i thought it was very Mm. funny we have we have we have like the schematic for that (laughs) just charge instead uh boar from that list of entrants there do you have an early favorite is there someone you feel would be a great united states champion um see i don't want to pick the eventual winner but uh 
Yeah, it's tough when you know yeah, the outcome. It is right? tough. Yeah. Um, but if I had to pick this time, like DDP, the diamond cutter, um, the the NWO stuff, is he in? Is he out? Yeah, yeah, I'd probably go DDP. I think D- that's a great choice. He's really getting over right now. He's still doing heel stuff, although they're transitioning him. They're he's not changing his character necessarily, but they're putting him against heels as like a subtle way of slowly getting the audience more on his side. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's a great choice. I think Eddie's a great choice. Uh, Luger clearly. Um, the only thing is, is it beneath Luger right now to be the United States champion? Um, Why? Well, I, I saw it as um, my favorite would be Lex Luger. Um, I think the idea of him having a because ch- he would have a championship belt that actually be defended right often. And he could see that as like, if I had this championship th- they could, they could go back to the sometimes referred to, but not always be like, if I'm United States champion, I can think of myself as the top contender for the world title too. Sort of a situation like uh, we had a few years ago when Brock was the universal or whichever championship he had yeah. and he was gone. And so Seth was defending, I forget if it was the IC or US belt and he was defending it on raw more frequently because of it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and Luger, since he kind of has like this one man like mission against the NWO, he could get that belt back. Right. from the NWO, and that would kind of be like a, a one-up of WCW on the NWO. And just having him defended against the Giant or, you know, Hall or Nash or something like that, I think there was a lot of possibilities there for Luger. Um, I think, obviously, the winner that we get is also, is also awesome, too. So. I don't remember. You guys clearly remember. I don't know. I actually, uh, uh, I, I have not peeked ahead at that particular bit, so I'm oh. excited to actually learn. Yeah, well, I, well, you save it then for later. <laughs> So, yeah, Luger comes out to face Arn Anderson. Arn makes his way out. Uh, I peeked ahead. Arn only has eight Nitro matches left before his retirement. So oh, sure, is, sure. We're going to have to appreciate the Enforcer while we have him. So are we saying that we're blaming Luger for this then? I, I think it was years in the... I don't think it was like a particular thing that Luger did, mm-hmm. um, but it was during his feud. And, I, and like I said in an earlier episode, I think a lot of people point to something that happened at Halloween Havoc that was really when he started feeling a twinge that he just never really got over. So it maybe it's maybe is it closer to like how Edge's career ended where it was sort of like maybe something that was building up and then it just came to the point where it's like, no, you can't do this anymore. That's my impression. Okay. Arn has a great horseman shirt on. <laughs> uh, I loved it. It's got like actual images of all four of the horsemen and then like this purple swirling black hole behind them. Oh yeah. I don't, I guess I'd miss that one. It's, it's pretty great. Uh, there's a kid later in the, in the crowd who's wearing it too. Did you have any WCW merch back in the day, boy? Um, I don't think I did. No. Yeah. I don't really remember. I don't think I had t-shirts as a kid. Really. I had wrestling buddies and some action figures. That was about it. I still, I have, I, I do have a, had a bunch of shirts back in the day. Yeah. Um, I have a, uh, a Chris Jericho, Jericho Holics one from like 1997, 98. Nice. That's still, cause I bought them big when I was a kid. So it yeah. still fits me. Oh no. yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it's, yeah. Way to play and it's one, it's, and it's one of those shirts that periodically, if my brother notices it, he tries to take it from me <laughs> <laughs> because it, it now kind of has like, kind of like that vintage look to it. So. Uh, that's kind of a like a prized possession. Oh, I yeah, I just found the shirt. Oh, I you see, see it now? Yeah. Yeah, I know what it looks like. Well, I'm just making sure that that's Oh, the same yes, thing. I'm sorry. Because yeah. <laughs> there could be more you. than one with the purple swirl in the back. Yes, as far as yeah, sure, But no, sure. that, 
That's pretty sweet. Yeah. I also I, like uh, I like that on there they have horseman shirts on on the horseman yeah. shirt. Yeah. <laughs> it's horseman shirtception we got. Yeah. I did have a uh, Bret Hart shirt. I remember that. Oh, nice. Yeah, it took a while to get. Uh, Dave is wearing a sweet Bret Hart shirt uh, right now. In yeah. Fact. This is this is um, one that I was hoping to wear when we met him at yeah. at Starcast, but I ordered from Pro and Tees, and it said. Seven to ten days for it to be delivered. Oh no! And then they told me seven days later. Oh, we've just sent it out. Oh god! And it was like the day before I left. I was like, fine. <laughs> All right. Lex comes out next to a good reaction. The crowd. Uh, the crowd is still into him despite uh, not being triumphant. World War Three. That's when Tony makes his comment that uh, they could just make another belt. <laughs> Larry calls uh, Arn Anderson an endomorphic human being, uh, a word that we haven't heard from Larry in quite some time. <laughs> so it's good to see he's dragging that one back out. As Lex comes out, we see a father and son who are wearing matching uh, crow sting style face paint or sting crow style face paint. I yeah. guess would probably be a better way of saying that. A father and son, you said? Yeah, father and son both wearing it. Um, and it's something I wrote my notes, but later... Uh, there's a woman wearing it in the crowd in the exact same way, and I started to wonder if it, they're plants. I because I was going to say I remember that there was a woman later on, and when you said a father and son, I'm like, wow, that's three of them. That's there. Yeah, there's three people in different parts of the crowd, or the father and son are in the same part. But yeah. it, the way that they have it really well done, and we've never seen it before this week. Either they have somebody on the concourse who's doing it for like ten bucks. Uh-huh. or they're kind of like doing it to encourage fans on future episodes to start doing it themselves. I oh, feel like sure. it's one of the two. Okay. If it's a woman, it's definitely a plant in wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> Arn has his ribs taped up, and he has words with Lex, seemingly blaming him for the injury, because uh, Arn, yeah, he's pointing at his like taped up ribs and then yelling at Lex. <laughs> so whether in reality we're supposed to blame Lex for <laughs> Arn's career-ending injury, certainly mm-hmm. in kayfabe we are. And it, just another one of those things I love about wrestling is like the very obvious pantomiming where it's like, yes, I can't hear him, but it's obvious what he's telling them. The playing to the back row right. is just the best. Yep. They jostle for position with Lex gaining the advantage strength wise. The enforcer switches from a lockup to punches. Lex trades shots with him and hits a couple of shoulder blocks that send Arn to the outside. Arn is stunned and takes a moment to compose himself while Mark Curtis starts up the count. Arn comes back into the ring with a headbutt to Lex's gut, but Lex knees him and drags a prone Anderson into the corner where he runs his arm into the post. Tony puts over uh, Arn as being a great left-handed puncher and explains that's why Lex's offense has so far focused on Arn's arm. Lex stretches Arn's arm over the rope and then jumps down to the floor, extending the shoulder over the rope. He continues the attacks with kicks to the shoulder, and when Arn gets to his feet, the two men exchange kicks to the gut. Lex continues to work the arm at one point, pulling arm up onto his knees using the tiny amount of hair that Arn has on the back of his head. Yeah. He's just so used to that spot where you grab the guy's hair. That right. It looks hilarious. And it's, it's it's just the very Lex Luger thing where it's like he doesn't have the improvis- improvisational skills to like, oh, I shouldn't do that. But he's like, all right, we're, we're okay. Just follow along with me, Arn. Get up here, dad. I just, that just... Reminds me like there's because they've had so many matches like yeah. with each other on Nitro, and there was one that was earlier on in Nitro when um I don't remember, know if you remember, but like they were on the outside and Luger tried to do the slingshot into the ring post. Yeah. Oh, I do remember that, and it and was it, in like slow motion. But he was doing a slingshot into the ring post, but Luger's legs are like spread apart. Right. So we had. <laughs> And it's a moment where Arn Anderson, you could see him like struggling up to just make it work. 
It is one of the funniest things. <laughs> but it's the sort of thing where it's like Luger, he does like what's on his mind. And yeah. if it doesn't work out very well, it's just like you just got to bear, grit your, te- grit your teeth and bear through it. More attacks to the shoulder by the total package, including a leg drop. And this is kind of a strange face heel dynamic so far in that you've got Lex Luger slowly working over the body part of the heel. Yeah. Just a, an interesting. <laughs> I know that they want to give Lex the majority of the offense because that's the push they've been giving him recently is that he gets in there with mm-hmm. with legitimate opponents and he kind of dominates them. But it's just weird seeing him pick apart this one body part of Arn Anderson. It's not kind of what I'm used to, I guess. Right. And it's the not taped up part either. <laughs> Arn manages a drop toe hold, but fails to press the advantage, and Luger applies a hammerlock. So, real quick, this is probably my favorite part of the whole match, and this is where I noticed that Lex Luger wrestles to his strength, and by that, he wrestles like someone who is stronger than everybody else with this drop toe hold reversal. Yeah. So, Arn goes for the front face lock, and a lot of guys would take that arm and spin out, and Luger just takes the arm and takes the short way, and then just reverses it into a hammerlock. Absolutely zero wasted motion with Lex Luger. Some guys might call it wrestling ugly, but I looked at it and said, he's stronger than everybody. He shouldn't be doing all these beautiful spins and twirls and counters and reversals. Absolutely. If you can just take somebody's arm and bend it behind their back, you should do it. And I love Lex Luger for doing that. I like that everyone can now hear what this podcast would sound like if we knew anything about wrestling. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Because the moment there, I was like, I, I don't know what he's talking about, <laughs> but then it came through at the end. No, it, I mean, yeah, that makes sense too. It's like, and that, like you said, it, it plays up to his strengths and just kind of how Lex Luger would wrestle anyway. You know, mm-hmm. there, it, he wouldn't, pro- he probably wouldn't be very much about like the frills. It oh, just, sure. Just po- outpower everyone. All power. Yes. All power. Tony and Larry continue to bicker about the events of last week that drove Tony from the broadcast booth. Tony asks, quote, what about this broadcast partners until the end thing that we've always talked about? <laughs> and now I'm imagining these two sitting on a hill, looking up at the stars and promising to be best friends forever. <laughs> Larry, will we be commentators together forever? Forever, Tony. <laughs> Tony may as well have said, Larry, you wrote in my yearbook, let's hang out this summer, but then you never called me. Uh, Larry completely shrugs it all off because he is too busy criticizing Luger for not having the hammerlock exactly the way that Larry would prefer it. And when he he gets on those points, it's just like, it's just talking to like a a wall. He's like enough about your feelings. I'm telling this guy, (laughs) he's not wrestling right. (laughs) Arn is finally getting in some office with various shots to Luger's midsection, but he telegraphs a back body drop and Luger knees him and drops some elbows. Luger and Arn kick each other a bit and we go to commercial. Uh, yeah, this is back when you could wrestle during commercial breaks. <laughs> right. Yeah, timely reference there. <laughs> Much in the way that a modern Raw misses the heat section of many matches. Oh, wow, my notes are outdated. I made these notes criticizing Raw uh-huh. for cutting to commercial during parts of matches. And now, just in the last few days, we've learned that that's verboten now. <laughs> right. See, they, they heard your complaints, Tim. <laughs> and they've addressed them accordingly. You have the power. We come back to find that Arn has Lex in a side headlock and is firmly in control. Lex fights out with some punches, but the wily vet Anderson throws him into the turnbuckle. Tony plugs this week's episode of Saturday Night by saying that they're going to show footage of that big Kevin Sullivan, Chris Benoit uh, crazy fight that happened at the Baltimore uh, house show last Saturday. So, yeah, we're going to see some house show footage 
on Saturday night. They, we, that's it's like crazy a, how big this Baltimore house show was. That seems like a pretty interesting thing to tune into. I yeah, I should uh, watch that Saturday night, especially since I have no idea like how their like taping of a house show looks. Yeah, if it looks like the same quality as television, or if it or that's a gr- yeah, I have no idea. All I know is that they ended up in the bathroom again because <laughs> Sullivan right. and Benoit love fighting in the bathroom. <laughs> Arn drops his knee on Luger's sternum and heads to the top second rope for a big flying nothing that Luger stops with an elbow. A dazed Arn leans on the ropes and Lex punches him a bit and the two men exchange more punches and kicks. Arn chokes Luger a bit and then elbows Lex's throat a few times. He then does a catapult into the bottom rope, uh, which I always think looks just great. Mm-hmm. It seems so devastating and I don't know uh, a way that you could possibly take that without it hurting at least a little bit. That's, that's your old Adam's <laughs> apple right there. Uh, Luger sells it pretty well with some like intense coughing. Yeah. I thought his selling was really good there. <laughs> if you ever need any really noisy selling, Lex yes. Luger's your guy for that. He does love to shout his selling, that is yeah. for sure. No! Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Arn goes for a pin and gets a two. He tries again with the same result. He tosses Lex outside and leans him against a ring post. He goes for a chop, but Lex ducks. Arn manages to pull his punch and avoid injury, but then he's he's smugly appreciating his own intelligence. Yeah, he doesn't quite point at his brain, but you could tell he's thinking about pointing at I his could, brain. I could feel him <laughs> point to his brain spiritually. Yes. He's pointing at his brain, <laughs> uh, but that allows Lex to get behind him and just punch him out of nowhere. Good sucker punch. Yep. Luger runs the bad back of Anderson into the ring post and then rolls him back into the ring. And again, a sucker punch. That's a very heel thing for Lex Luger to do. Well, in this case, uh, you know, Arn was getting hoisted by his own petard. Yeah, that's true. Luger rolls Arn into the ring and whips him into a corner. Lex hits a delayed vertical suplex and the crowd goes nuts. Like, crazy for a suplex. They love Lex Luger. By the way, I and I don't, I didn't really catch this for matches afterwards, but uh, like Lex Luger in particular is sweating like crazy in this match and He's i don't a sweaty guy yeah i just didn't know if that if that if maybe it was like the arena if it's just like really hot in there but he's just like pouring sweat well it's maryland in late november so it's probably not super hot unless they like kick the heat on too much or something yeah it looks like a rickety building uh there's uh ceiling tiles just missing in a lot of the shots mm-hmm. it's it's certainly a long way down from the scope where world war three was right it's it's very possible it could still be pretty warm uh i remember the winters there as a kid really didn't start till christmas oh okay so it's very possible it could still be like in the 70s see we're in minnesota so when we think of late november we're yeah. already bundled up <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah not 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 quite in the uh, delmarva area Lex picks up Arn for a backbreaker when suddenly we hear a voice over the PA system. He's barely moving. Luger wants to rack him, I believe. The fans want to see it too. Hey, 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 hold on a second. Well, who, who, right now. Where the heck's that coming from? Oh, it's coming from the giant. Look, what are you thinking? Look at his screen. This is the United States heavyweight belt. He's right there. The most coveted belt in the world. Why? Because it's mine. Tournament. Just like people do all over the world in their backyards. You call yourselves U.S. champions. I don't care. The point is, I'm a U.S. heavyweight champion. And that's this not true. stays with me and the NWO. You have your tournament. The winner of your tournament 
come and get some of the Giant. Then we'll see. Now the Giant should, uh, he's got a short-term memory there. He should remember what happened last night to him. One, two, two count. Now even though the Giant did win World War III last night, and like I said, we're gonna show you the 60-man battle royal. Even though he did win it last night, the total package Lex Luger rose to the occasion. And that brings up another... The Giant is in the arena and he has a live mic. He says that he has the United States heavyweight belt, the most coveted belt in the world. Right. Luger hits a power <laughs> slam. The Giant says that they can have their little U.S. heavyweight tournament, just like people do all over the world in their backyards. I... I, I there is certainly backyard wrestling and fantasizing about winning a title. I don't know about having a U.S. title tournament specifically. His promos are always paved with good intentions. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just his execution. Like, I mean, I like I get the idea. Like, he wants to say the United States title is really prestigious. Right. But the United States title being the most coveted title in the world doesn't make sense. Overstepping his bounds a bit. <laughs> right. I also... I also like how no one in the ring is reacting to him whatsoever. Well, they're in the middle of a match for a highly prestigious belt. Right. <laughs> the most coveted title in the world. Right. <laughs> Just like people in backyards all over. Is the giant secretly like a, a, a tape trader in 96? I would love <laughs> if that were true. <laughs> his knowledge of all this independent and backyard work. Yeah, he's renowned dead. for his love of the business when he's not just smoking and hanging out with Hogan, <laughs> getting <Right>. movie parts. <laughs> The winner may call themselves the champion, but the giant claims that the title is rightfully his. He celebrates and leaves as Arn hits a DDT. Arn gets a cover, but Lex manages to get a foot on the ropes at two. That that's that was one of the bummers of this is that it completely undersells like Arn Anderson just hit his finisher. Yeah. And that Luger was it managed to survive it. Like you completely lose the drama of that from the giant promo. In which he basically is a promo in which you would expect that's his position anyway, and right. then he just leaves. Tony Schiavone insults my intelligence by claiming that the Giant looks foolish for celebrating because even though the Giant won the Battle Royal last night, Lex Luger looked really good in that match. <laughs> <laughs> like it is <laughs> such a weak argument he's offering here. Like, the Giant right. won. It's not right. like Vincent was out there. Right. It was like... The guy who won. And it was like 54 to 6. WCW had the advantage. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Arn goes to the top rope. Uh, two Arn uh, rope spots this match. That is Yikes. not something you see normally. Hey, he's going for that very prestigious United States Heavyweight title. But Lex trips him, and Arn ends up laying across the top rope, doing that thing where you're laying across like the two ropes in the yeah. corner so a guy can kick you in the stomach. Arn uh, does not like this, evidently, because he is one arm desperately clutching the middle rope. Yeah. Like, he does not trust his balance. He does not think that he should be doing this. <laughs> he looks white-knuckled as hell holding onto that rope. Lex, of course, takes advantage with some kicks, which you always do when a guy's in that position. Yep. Uh, this is, of course, a good position for the torture rack, but Lex just couldn't quite lock it on. Lex clotheslines Arn to the outside and then follows him for a sledge, but Arn punches him in the gut. Arn tries for a pile driver on the floor, but Lex back body drops him, and I can see why Arn was forced into retirement not long after this. <laughs> this is a guy with a hurt back taking back body drops on the floor yeah. eight minutes into a match or whatever we're at now. It's <laughs> not probably the best idea. He's wrestling like he has a uh, Lloyd's of London payout coming. <laughs> <laughs> Luger 
outside the ring, which Mark Curtis is begging him to notice. Like, Mark right. Curtis is trying over and over again to say, you're outside of the ring. Yeah. Uh, Luger puts Arn in the torture rack. He just kind of stands there, puts him in the rack, slowly walks further and further away from the ring. Yes. <laughs> uh, Curtis tries to tell him a couple times, and then finally he just runs back into the ring. They ring the bell immediately, mm-hmm. although it's odd because then he counts to 10, and then they ring the bell again. So there was some miscommunication with the timekeeper there. Right. They, But they were definitely counted out, though. Uh, Luger keeps the torture rack on. I guess he's trying to sell the idea that he's, his rage towards Arn Anderson is just so blinding yeah. that that's why he <laughs> threw away this match. But Luger, for all his strengths and all the things that's really working about him right now, like the idea that he's overcome with anger is so not in the realm of the Lex Luger character. Yeah. He's like aloof. That's even as a baby face, his aloofness is kind of what makes him compelling. Mm-hmm. So I thought this just made him look stupid. It didn't make him look angry. Yeah. Uh, and and it kind of plays into this weird thing where even when he's supposed to be like the top baby face in a promotion, they undercut him by making him not understand how countouts work. Because it just brought back to mind him versus Yokozuna at SummerSlam. <laughs> like the guy just doesn't get countouts, especially in title situations. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, Bor, what did you what did you think of our opening match here? And um, Lex Luger is on fire. Lex Luger is a great professional wrestler. I don't want to hear any other <laughs> any other arguments. Um, he does get moments, even though things like the countouts and he does look uh, goofy and aloof, like you mentioned. He gets having the crowd behind him and he gets um he gets sports entertainment if you will he gets he mm-hmm. gets the reaction from the crowd like you said the crowd is on fire for this this entire match um completely behind luger and arn anderson is one of the greatest of all time uh complete ring general um had you know spots and situations left and right to make luger look like a monster um lex luger on offense for seven or eight minutes is quite the task to ask and anderson pulled it off yeah, I think that's a great summary. I think um, as much as I like to to make my little jokes over here, like Lex Luger in 19... <laughs> he's the best thing about 1996, um, probably in wrestling period, other than maybe the rise of, of Austin over mm-hmm. on the other channel. Um, but he's certainly my highlight of of WCW from what we've seen of this year. And uh, he he his matches, it's not like... A, it's not a Ray versus Ultimo Dragon, but his matches are always fun to watch. The crowd is super into it. They love the torture rack. The torture rack yeah. is one of the most over finishers in the company right now. So, yeah, I agree. I thought this was a really fun match to watch. Um, and I agree. You're right that uh, it was really Arn Anderson that was helping to make him look good for as long as this match went. Yeah. And and <clears throat> excuse me. And especially with the with the giant being in the NWO, I feel like the Luger is like the, the most formidable opponent for all of the NWO. So making sure that he looks good at all times I think is really important right now and 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 like you both said like he is like he's at the top of his game 96 especially is like the top of his game as far as I'm concerned yeah I really think that once um that they need to like let the giant be the gatekeeper for Luger Hogan can kind of keep busy with the Piper thing and then once that's resolved Luger triumphs over the giant like let Luger at Hulk is what I as a fan want to see right now if I, you know, put myself in the mindset of November 96, I want Luger to vanquish the giant and I want him to be the one who takes that belt off Hogan. Right. Especially since up to this point, we still have no idea. Like 
for like the sting thing i'm just waiting to see how that develops right i don't really want to like judge one way or the other as far as where he's going to go yeah so like wcw's like best option is lex luger and so we i want to see him being triumphant and making himself like a formidable opponent to like you said like first first the giant and then he can say like i've i've vanquished everyone else except for hogan it's my turn against hogan now right david penzer announces the double count out and that both men are out of the tournament but lex poses for the crowd anyway and we go to commercial <laughs> he doesn't care <laughs> it's the aloofness he's above this he's lex luger <laughs> but i i i just think it just is funny how they talk about like this united states title tournament and about 15 minutes later it just all goes sideways yeah because a quarter of the people in it are now eliminated (laughs) (laughs) the thinking must have been that luger was above the united states title right now which is then maybe don't put him in the tournament or if you feel the need to put him in but you don't want to have him lose come up with a different ending to this that doesn't make him look kind of foolish right come up with some kind of dq or something there's just a million other ways they could have gone that wouldn't have made him look like he just doesn't understand the way that the rules work. (laughs) Right. Uh, I just think he really wanted his revenge from Miami mayhem against the horseman. (laughs) He got it. After a commercial break, we come back and Tony Schiavone cues up some stills from Ray versus Ultimo dragon from last night. Larry compares them to evil Knievel only without the motorcycles, which I think is just a guy in a leather jacket. Right. That's not very impressive. (laughs) We then get stills of Patrick versus Jericho. Larry claims that Jericho outweighs Nick Patrick by 100 pounds. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, Jericho is probably, what, like 215 right now? There's no way that that Nick Patrick is near 100 pounds. (laughs) That's We then see uh, some more stills of Jarrett versus the Giant and, of course, the Sting who came out and cost Jarrett the match. Uh, Bor, I know you said that you were going to or that you did watch World War Three to kind of get ready to get in the mindset of the timeline we're talking about. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on those three matches they show the stills of the first three matches of World War Three? Uh, the opening match is, you know, it, incredible, um, incredible um, matchup. Um, but I really liked the um the Nick Patrick and Chris Jericho match, like it did go long. I agree with you guys there. Like it went way too long, but uh, to see Nick Patrick finally get a chance to have like a WCW match, um, given how long him and his dad are with the company. Um, that was pretty cool. Um, and to be able to see Jericho that early into his WCW run, be able to be trusted with a quote unquote, a non wrestler and more Hmm. of a sports entertainment angle. Yeah, I think speaks highly of Jericho and what they thought of Jericho and his ability at that time. That's a really good point. The NWO's music plays and Larry immediately starts yelling at Tony not to abandon him, really proving (laughs) that what we were saying on last week's episode, that Larry is a sociopath who's only able to see himself as the victim. Right. It's not don't be afraid. I'm going to protect you. It's don't leave me out here alone. (laughs) That was mean of you to do to me. And it's not about his safety or anything. It's that that uh, Larry Zbysko might feel a little uncomfortable being by himself. <laughs> he doesn't want to call a match by himself. Yeah, those right. last time it was the luchadors. Come on. <laughs> right. <laughs> he does at least tell Tony to stay behind him this time. So he, there's okay. an element of I'm going to protect you, at least right. kind of implied. I, I don't feel very trusting on that. <laughs> <laughs> Out walks the giant, the outsiders, Six and Vincent, fronted by Eric Bischoff, in full smug heel mode. Mm-hmm. He is fantastic here. From the second he comes out, he's disingenuously smiling. 
He's uh, doing the like we're not worthy bow to the audience thing, but it's yep. just reeks of sarcasm. Uh, from the second he comes out, you get what his heel character is going to be like, especially if you're someone that didn't see his promo on World War Three, which, you know, most fans watching this hadn't seen the pay-per-view. So to tune in and like, OK, I know last week we we learned this thing about him. What's that character going to be? He just knocks it out of the park. It's just his mannerisms explain everything you need to know. He's been it seems like he's been waiting for this moment like his whole career. This is like, this is the character he's been meant to play. Yes. And it's, and once he finally found the opportunity to do it, he's just like, he's basking is what he's doing. He's basking in this. He, uh, he high fives and shakes hands with everyone. And it's like, how do you shake hands and high five in a heel way? Well, just watch <laughs> Eric Bischoff. do it. He'll, he'll explain. <laughs> Now, we got out a little bit of, uh, uh, I guess we called it an emergency podcast. There's a breaking news. We talked about Eric Bischoff getting uh, creative control over SmackDown. Uh, Board, do you have any thoughts on that? Anything that you, you're looking forward to? Or do you think that's, uh, are you worried it could be a disaster? What's your immediate reaction to that that crazy news that we got earlier today? Um, I'm just ready for Tony Schiavone to be able to call matches because I feel like he's up to bat at this point. Hell yeah! So um, I know he's with MLW, <laughs> but I hope to see him on a, um, in a, a televised platform soon. But as far as Eric, um, it's definitely cool, and it's cool to see him get another opportunity with the company and on the production slash office side of things, which he wasn't before. Right. Um, but you know, there's there's one man in power. It's the way it's been. And it's the way it's probably going to continue to be. So, um, just kind of hoping for the best in that um, we're able to see at least some new things on television with another voice or a newer voice uh, being heard. I don't have super high expectations um, because uh, 35 years, it's going to be what it's going to be. So, yep. I think yeah, that that pretty much summarizes exactly what we're both saying. If it if it's something different. That's at least going to get my eyeballs for a little bit, and then we'll we'll kind of see from there what happens. But I agree with you that uh, ultimately the, the experience has shown us that what they will do is revert back to what Vince is comfortable with, mm-hmm. and that's just the way it's probably going to be for as long as as Vince is alive. And he built the company; it's certainly his right to do. Um, but it's our right as fans to to check out until something is different. And to be fair, they're making more money than ever. That's absolutely yeah. true. So uh, I. I and I'm interested to see how long they go without having Bischoff um, in front of the camera. Mm. Yes, because really, I I feel like for all the things that he brought to the table for for professional wrestling, his on camera persona is is highest quality, right? Yeah. In my opinion, and we're like we're like we're seeing right now in 1996, the moment that he's been given opportunity to play a character, like it's it's like he just t- turns on the switch and he knows exactly what to do. So. Um, it, it, like those, that whole announcement with him and Heyman, it's just it's unusual that they have two people that are very good on camera to be doing off camera roles. Yeah, and I'm just kind of I'm just thinking like the days are they're counting the days until they switch that up. Sure, it'll and if they do, that'll be interesting because Eric Bischoff in his whatever it is sixties now. Yeah, uh, working that hard, being an on screen character and an off screen. Right. Creative force. That's uh, th- not a lot of people can do that. Yep. Eric gets a mic, which doesn't work at first. You can sort of make out what he's saying, which is that he learned an important lesson in life, which is that something about the power of positive thinking. Yeah. That's as close as I could something get. Something about it. 
He barely finishes the thought before shouting out some fans in the crowd who have an NWO for life sign. Mm -hmm. Positive thing. I love that sign up there, NWO for life. I love you guys. You're it. You know, back in Baltimore in June, I got jackknifed through a stage by one of the most powerful men on the planet. And the next day I woke up and I could still wiggle my toes and feel my fingers. And I asked myself one very important question. Do I want to be consumed by the power or do I want to become part of the force? You guys know what I mean back there. A couple days later, Mr. Paul, Mr. Nash, myself, we got together. We had a little summit. We did some talking, we did some thinking, we did some planning. And what we really did is we decided to consolidate power because get this. Not only am I the highest ranking executive in the NWO, I'm the highest ranking executive at WCW. What a wonderful country. So here's the deal. Listen up in the back, back in a locker room. Because you guys at WCW have 30 days from right now to convert your WCW contracts to NWO contracts. Does he mean announcement? We too? are going to build a dynasty. I don't know. You got it. That's the deal. 30 days from right now, because at 30 days in one minute, you're either with us or you're against us. And by the way, Mr. Piper is the highest ranking executive in WCW. Now that you've signed the match to meet Hogan at Starcade in Nashville, here's the deal. Watch yourself real close. Because I can and I will find you if you get out of hand. Is this too much or what? And by the way, that is the US title and possession is nine-tenths of the law, especially when he's the one holding that title. Whoa, 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 whoa. What is this all about? I don't know what Bagwell and Riggs is thinking whoa. about. There's whoa. Riggs whoa. Right here. Bagwell and Riggs, yeah. are they gonna take on the entire NWO here? Yes, we have a taker. I guess he wants to keep his contract. Yes! I guess he does. Hey, wait a minute. Scotty Riggs. Hey! Attacked by Bagwell. They must have got to Bagwell already. Uh, I don't know if they have or not. There has been friction with members of this team. And the NWO just ruling the roots here. Down goes Scotty Riggs. Mark Bagwell officially, I guess, a member of the New World Order. Wait a minute. I don't know, remember what the New World Order did to the Nasty Boys when they thought they were in? 
Well, there's for me. Like those who hesitate, they get punked. Eric starts off his promo with some plot hole filling backstory, saying that back in June, he got jackknifed through the stage by Kevin Nash. That, of course, uh, for anyone who's been following closely, is definitely the thing I feel like we need the most explanation of for him to be a part of the NWO. Right. Uh, So what Eric says about it is that he woke up the next day and realized that he had to make a decision. Was he going to be consumed by the power or did he want to become part of the force? Mm. That's a great line. Yeah. Yeah. And his delivery is, I mean, it's Eric Bischoff. He's a great television character. He delivers it excellently. He says a, only a couple days after that, that would be Great American Bash 96, he met with Hall and Nash and hatched a plan. Uh, so that version of events could certainly help explain Hogan joining. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could help explain why Eric was missing during Bash at the Beach. It's some good retcon going yeah, on here. <laughs> it really it really fills in a lot of things. It yeah. doesn't... I know people have talked about like, okay, why could Nash and Hall, like, why did they walk to the back after their initial appearance? Well... Because Bischoff was secretly in the NWO. Well, no, he wasn't because he didn't join until Great American Bash. Yes. So there's still a few open questions. Right. Which right. are fine. They're, we're not going to get every <laughs> dangling thread. But right. I think this promo in a, just a few sentences went a long way to go. Okay, that makes sense. Yep. I get it. Yeah. And I, I feel like I feel like it's a reasonable explanation, too. Absolutely. You know, I mean, it, I wouldn't want to get thrown through the stage at Great American Bash. Or, or the idea that like. I could find it reasonable that someone in WCW sees what the NWO is becoming yeah. and realizing that it's like, oh, I, I, you know, I can see how this is going to end up. I don't want to be on the wrong side. Yep. This is the sort of explanation that a lot of times in wrestling, you just don't get to hear where they, they just kind of expect you to forget about what happened previously. Right. But this mm. is a great, like I mentioned, retconning. This is a really, really good example of retconning. Eric says that he and the Outsiders consolidated power because he's now the highest-ranking executive in both the NWO and WCW. He tells the locker room that they all have 30 days from today to convert their WCW contracts to NWO contracts. I wish I knew exactly what that meant. Like, does Turner still have to sign off on those? <laughs> right. Does it just have different letterhead and everyone gets paid the same? And this has always been the biggest question for what did he envision or, or what was the NWO's plan? Let's say every single member of the roster had taken them up on that. Yeah. Does no one wrestle each other anymore? Do they just come out every week and cut promos for two hours? <laughs> what what happens at that point? Yeah. That's just never been made clear. <laughs> Uh, you know what I think would have went a long way would have been just a line from Tony Schiavone, something about how, like, you know, fans were part of this massive corporation and they're currently uh, starting the process of this big merger. So really, as like a division of a corporate company, like Eric Bischoff's the man in charge. No one above him is like looking at what we're doing here. And if he <laughs> wants to just screw around with us, right. he's going to be able to like just something that I feel like something like that could have explained a lot. And just would have covered like a lot of little things that are best not to think about, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, th- I mean, th- he's just announcing now this 30 day yeah. deadline. It could be further elaborated later on, too. That's very true. Bischoff also warns Roddy Piper that he can and will find him for basically any excuse that he can think of. <laughs> he then points to the giant and the U.S. title and r- says that possession is nine tenths of the law. Out come the American males. 
Marcus Bagwell marches confidently to the ring while Riggs seems like he's sort of trying to talk him out of coming down to the ring for whatever. Right. Bagwell goes in and immediately high fives the NWO. He's in the group, but Scotty Riggs is hesitant. Bagwell goes to talk to his longtime friend and partner, and Riggs turns his back stupidly to think for a moment. <laughs> Riggs. <laughs> even even if he didn't see what was happening here, like the the NWO is right behind oh, you. Right. They've attacked you with a baseball bat on this show. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so turning his back allows Bagwell to drop him with a neckbreaker. The American males are no more. No. In a terrible sign for the future of Scotty Riggs, the crowd pops for this (laughs) and begins chanting NWO. (laughs) They exploded. Oh. It's not good. You are instantly the Marty Jannetty (laughs) of the American males. All it took was that one second. Yep. (laughs) The NWO and Marcus Bagwell high five and pose, and Nash says that those who hesitate and Hall finishes, they get punked. <laughs> was, that a, was that another movie reference from Kevin Nash? It, it, I, believe, I believe that's the cable guy. <laughs> <laughs> Tony says that he doesn't know how somebody who's in charge of two companies can be so biased, which I don't know what that even is supposed to be. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> what is the connection between those thoughts? Uh, but overall, great segment. I loved it. Yes. What do you think, Dave? Uh, yeah, I, I'm, like I said, I mean, it's one of the rare examples of like previous events being explained. Yeah. Uh, in wrestling, because a lot of times, a lot of those threads get kind of dropped because they're out of sight, out of mind, sort of thing. Um, I'm interested in how the 30 day ultimatum is going to go, especially since you. I think getting the immediate response was a good thing. Yes, that was someone, a really smart way to yeah, to do that. Have someone come out right away and be like, that legitimizes this threat. Yeah. Um. And, and then not only that, but like splitting up a tag team, it's like it has ripples. I mean, it's not the it's not like Harlem Heat or something like that. But the yeah. fact that a tag team just split up as a result of this, um, potentially, I, I think having what could be an interesting feud between Bagwell and Riggs. Yeah. Um, especially since they were they were kind of, you know, they were disagreeing a lot. It felt like it had been point. going on forever. So I'm glad that they finally split. Right. Yeah. So, no, I, I think it it presents interesting options as far as um, people that are just going to immediately turn. And <laughs> just, it, it's funny that like the nasty boys somewhere are like, why couldn't it have been like this a month ago? <laughs> <laughs> they're they're going to be the only ones that are kicked out of the NWO. <laughs> <laughs> Bor, what did you think of our NWO segment and Eric Bischoff promo tonight? No, I agree, Dave. Um, just, I thought it was a fantastic segment. Um, Bischoff's promo was really good, and it was not super short, but also didn't overstay its welcome. And then the immediate response of Bagwell coming out, and I thought it was kind of like a marriage where like you're going through problems, someone's looking for a way out, somebody's mm-hmm. like, no, stay. And then here comes the hot NWL. This is my opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> this is my chance to get out. And uh, yeah, uh, Bagwell gets out without any uh, hesitation. That's a good point. Yeah, Bagwell, they've both been frustrated with each other, and Bagwell just sees this opportunity to finally be done with this. Right. Like, yeah. Oh, thank God. And he, try, he tries to end it as clean as possible without jumping out rigs or, you know, super kicking them through the barbershop window or anything like that. <laughs> and uh, Bagwell, he, he, Bagwell takes advantage, and Riggs turns his back. You know, you shouldn't have done that, man. Like you said, you, you just got jumped uh, back at the Disney Studios. What were you thinking? <laughs> it was it was very uh, Luger of him to do. <laughs> 
After a commercial, we come back to the entrance music of one Diamond Dallas Page. He's out in his pink and black year, uh, one of my favorite page colors. I mean, yes. I just love pink and black. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, certainly Bret Hart, I think, in wrestling is the corner, yeah. the market on it. But mm-hmm. like, that's just a great color scheme in general. Yeah. He's chomping on his usual cigar. The crowd looks uh, very into him, although we don't get the actual audio because they've dubbed over his music. So right. you don't get the real crowd noise. Yep. So it's really sometimes tough to know how over DDP is until the cutter. And then people go nuts and you're like, oh, they love DDP. Okay, right. I get it. Yeah, it, it's it's very it's really unfortunate that like crowd reactions to people entering yeah. are getting cut off like that. But next out to... is finally the Disco Inferno. Finally, we have not seen him other than his World War Three Battle Royal uh, since episode forty nine. A three and a half month absence from Nitro. That is oh, way wow. too long. This is only his second Nitro match since July's Bash at the Beach which is where he had that uh, cruiserweight title match that was really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was like he got his first opportunity to show that he's a really good wrestler. Yeah. And then he proved it, and then they just wrote him off the show pretty much. <laughs> right. <laughs> See you on Saturday nights. <laughs> yeah, as someone who was watching a lot of the syndicated shows, like, are were there guys when you were a kid that seemed like much bigger stars because they were on your TV every week, even though uh, for us who are just watching Nitro, we rarely see them? Yeah, Disco Inferno for me is yeah. one guy who sticks out. He was always on Worldwide. He was, uh, yeah, he was always on WCW syndicated TV. It seemed like um, early on Goldberg, they squeezed Goldberg on um, sure. some of those shows. Um, but yeah, oddly, like Disco is the guy I would say was probably a bigger star to me than what he necessarily was uh, to the rest of the roster. It would just be funny watching like only Saturday night and just thinking like, wow, this Dave Taylor guy is a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like every time you do the results, like it's always blue bloods. Yeah. Like they're always having matches. And I'm always a little jealous because I love Dave Taylor and he hasn't been. A, he's another guy who's kind of disappeared from Nitro. Yeah. And I, I, I missed seeing those. He's just got a like nice stiff British style to him. I like it. And it's like mentioning those two guys. It's it's proof that just because you're in the battle royal does not mean you're necessarily going to, you know. be. Oh, yeah. Don't get used to it. Right. <laughs> Um, I just wanted I wanted to mention that I'm di- I'm not a particular fan of these tights that Disco Inferno is wearing. Um, that say La Freak on it because they look really cheap. <laughs> it's like his uh, backup gear. <laughs> yeah, like all rest just just about most wrestlers have like a pair of backup gear that's like old mm-hmm. gear, but you, you keep it around just in case you're on a long uh, tour or something like that. And it seemed, yeah. although it seemed new, it also seemed like his uh, backup gear. Yeah, his it house just, show gear. Like the the letterings look like the like the person that did it for him. Like they cut them out before they laid them on to the tights and realized like, oh, these don't fit very well. But I'm gonna go ahead and go ahead through with this. Maybe he was saving some money and sewed them on himself. Yeah, who knows? Maybe, yeah, I don't I don't know what else he does besides wrestle. Maybe he's a really good seamstress. I have no idea. Disco dances in the ring and Paige attacks before the bell. Scott Dickinson is going to allow this. <laughs> he doesn't even actually call for the bell. It just rings as Paige rips Disco's shirt off. That's that's not even the first time that's happened in the show. <laughs> Paige sets Disco up in a corner for elbows and chops, punches, and some more elbows. Dallas crotches Disco on the top rope to the delight of the crowd. Tony hypes info in the next segment on how you can be a part of Starcade 96 as tickets go on sale soon for the Nashville event. Okay. Paige whips Disco into a corner, but follows by running into a boot. Disco seizes the opportunity and hits a swinging neckbreaker. Instead of thinking of another move, he dances so that when Paige gets to his feet, 
he hits another swinging neckbreaker. <laughs> Although that's like his signature move is that swinging neckbreaker. Sure. So he's like, oh, I felt good about that one. Why not do another one? It's just rare that you see a guy, unless it's like a thing with like the three German suplexes or the three Amigo suplexes. Yeah. To just see a guy do two moves right in a row as if it just seemed like he forgot that he had just done that. <laughs> it really did. <laughs> He stays in control briefly with punches until Paige starts trading shots with him, eventually winning the Battle of Strikes. Paige attempts to whip Disco into the ropes, but Disco reverses. He tries to clothesline the charging DDP, but Paige ducks, floats over, and hits the diamond cutter. One, two, three, Paige wins a short but decent contest. Mm-hmm. Boar, what did you think of the match? Um, my takeaway was Disco was perfectly acceptable as a professional wrestler to me. I, I've yeah. heard some knocks against him, but I'm, I'm seeing things in there. Um, like he's giving DDP some windows. He he goes for the big like over overhead strike, and uh, that's a clear sign. Like, hey, punch me in the stomach, cut me off, and DDP does it. And I'm like, I did not expect that coming from Disco to kind of give DDP openings of offense, give him little hope spots there. Um, and another thing I liked from this match was, or two things, DDP and NWO and back-to-back segments kind of playing along with oh, yeah. his DDP going to join the NWO. His buddies were just out here. Why didn't they jump him if they just saw him? Mm-hmm. I thought that was neat. And then Tony was kind of dadding uh, the NWO fans in attendance uh, early on in this match, talking about how you have the right to pick the NWO. We're not going to tell you you know, what side to pick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That. But if you have good morals, you'll, you'll pick WCW. It's kind of <laughs> like, all right, son, like you're 16 now, but you know, like, be, re- be responsible in your life. I, I uh I thought that was funny. <laughs> they walk this really fine line where they don't like the the NWO. They're the villains. They're this invading force. But at the beginning of the show, when they're hyping what's to come, it's like, we've got Lex Luger. We've got uh, Arn Anderson and the stars of the NWO. <laughs> it's like, if you were really all that mad about him, you probably wouldn't be hyping their appearance later on in the program. Right. Yep. Uh, Dave, what do you think of the match here? Uh, I thought it was a... It was. I mean, it's only two or three minutes long. Really, is not a lot to get out of it as far as like psychology of a match. I, I I think it was. It's mainly to set up the the promo afterwards and to give. And, and plus, it's also like the diamond cutter is like one of the biggest in ring like things going for WCW right yeah. now. So you want to make sure to have that in there. And I I mean, Disco Inferno on my TV always a good thing too. Yeah, and I think like I said that. Um earlier when we were talking about Paige, is that I think it's just sort of a little subtle thing to start putting him against people the crowd doesn't like, so that even if he is not doing ostensibly babyface things, we are starting to think of him as a guy that we want to cheer for. Yeah. Um, So I think it served that function, and it just, like, yeah, it's just get out there and do a diamond cutter. It doesn't have to be a long match. We just want to see the cutter. Mm -hmm. Um, It's so over, and it's a great intro for uh, this promo that we are about to get as Mean Gene joins Paige in the ring for what seems like the now daily interview where Gene asks Paige about his relationships with the NWO and Eric Bischoff. <laughs> right. I know I've asked you these questions 15 times, but I'm going to ask him again, and I want a different answer. Yeah, not only has he asked them, but Paige has answered them completely honestly. <laughs> right. I don't know what's left to, to mine here, but let's go through it. Thank you very much, Tony Schiavone. We've got a great crowd on hand this Monday night at Nitro Diamond Dallas Page. I want to answer one important question here. You want to know why the NWO wants Diamond Dallas Page finally in the NWO? It's simple. 
They're trying to build a dynasty. And what better way to do it than to stick the guy with the B-A-double-D baddest finish on the planet, the Diamond Cutter. You know, I don't, just a second, settle down here, Paige, because I couldn't get a straight answer from you last night. I want some answers tonight. I want them, these people want them. Number one, is it not a fact that you are a good friend of Scott Hall of the NWO? I think it's pretty obvious. Everybody's seen it. I was the guy who brought him in. I managed him. Yeah, we go back a little bit of time. Is it not a fact that you also have a very close relationship with Kevin Nash of the Outsiders? My ex-tag team, my first tag team partner. You know, but that's, that's not here nor there. You know, I've got another one for you. There's another, there's another it, thing, a lot of things happening right now. Wait a minute. Hold on. Is it not a fact that the man that lives right across the street is the guy that one of the, the, the rats that just jumped off the ship the other night, Eric Bischoff, is he your neighbor? Yeah. Yeah. That's it? Yeah? And you tell me you're not going with the NWO? Who are you trying to kid? Let's put it like this, Gene. Eric Bischoff and I go back farther than any of us. I thought I knew him better than I knew anybody. I just never knew. I just never knew where he was going during this. If you made me look like a moron not knowing what was happening. All right, I thank you. You still are. Hey, what it all comes down to is I wish I didn't know now what I didn't know then. Still don't get an answer from this guy. Stay tuned. We've got more Monday Nitro when we come back here on TNT. Gene starts up, but DDP interrupts and says that he wants to answer an important question. Whatever the question is, has to wait for Paige to make a big, gross show of spitting out his gum. Yeah. <laughs> he says the reason the NWO wants him is they're trying to build a dynasty. And of course, there's no better way than to get the guy with the baddest finish on the planet. Gene interrupts and asks, weren't you friends with Scott Hall? And Paige admits that, yes, he brought Hall into WCW and managed him. Gene asks, isn't it also a fact that you were friends with Kevin Nash? Paige reluctantly admits that Nash was his first tag team partner, and I am very distracted by a guy behind Paige who is looking at him through binoculars. <laughs> <laughs> they seem completely unnecessary. Uh, I put a picture of it on Twitter, and somebody pointed out, and this is immediately what went in my head, too, is my dad, in like the 80s and 90s, loved bringing binoculars to any event in a large arena. Oh, sure. Like yep, any baseball well. game we went yep. to, you had to have binoculars. It mm -hmm. seems like that's... I don't know if it's because TVs are so much bigger at arenas now, but nobody seems to bring binoculars anywhere anymore. Yeah, but it seems like that would be for someone that's a way further up. Yeah, it's it, he's in like what appears to be the 10th row, and he's looking through binoculars. <laughs> right. He's trying to get a look at that gum that he spit out. <laughs> Maybe he's on Sting Watch. Ooh, that could be. Oh, just just scannings like he's coming out any moment. Yeah, there's no this I'll be is the a one smaller that arena that we've had recently, so there's no true balcony for Sting to kind of walk around in. Here comes Sting from the 200 level. <laughs> Gene asks if Eric Bischoff indeed lives right across the street from him, which Paige admits. And again, we've covered all this ground before. Those are all things that Paige has fully admitted to. Yeah, and to be fair. Diamond House page indicates like we've talked about this yeah. before, so it, it's good for him to like bring that up. Page says that yes, he goes a long way back with Eric Bischoff, but actually he's pissed that Eric Bischoff made him look like an idiot for not w knowing what was going on. Mm. Page says that he wishes he didn't know now what he didn't know then. 
great line. I actually <laughs> really like that. I thought it was very funny. I loved his delivery of it. Gene infuriates me by complaining that he still can't get a straight answer out of Paige. <laughs> Paige just answered every question. And he's he's asking for factual information, which he's been provided. There's no there's no gray area for these answers. Are you his friend? Yes. Are you his friend? Yes. Do you live across the street from him? Yes. I don't know why this guy won't talk to me. <laughs> right. He like, is a shitty reporter. It's like <laughs> Like someone being interrogated for a crime you like they clearly didn't commit, but it's yeah. like I'll ask again later. You better have an answer I want to hear, pretty much. <laughs> uh so yeah, I thought the content of this promo was a little dumb, or maybe not dumb, but just redundant. Mm-hmm. I thought the delivery was great. Yeah. Uh, that's about all I've got to say on it. What about uh, what about you, Dave? I, I mean I like the I like the angle. I like the story between like with him specifically with Hall and Nash, yeah. it just seems like right now it's like, well, okay, what is this leading to? Because we're kind of spinning our wheels as far as like, we have done this interview before. Yeah. Like this has been addressed and it's even been addressed with Hall and Nash. Mm-hmm. Like at this point, I, I just want to see where it's going from here because like, this is like you said, and like Paige is even indicating like we've already crossed, like right. we've done this before. Bor, what'd you think? Um, I agree with you. It was redundant. We've seen this before. Um, if anything, I was thinking maybe this is going to antagonize DDP a little bit more to the fact of, okay, WCW doesn't believe me even when I'm telling them the truth. So maybe I will join the NWO. Um, that's about the only new wrinkle I saw on this yeah. interview. After a commercial, Tony plugs WCWWrestling.com and Larry says that everything is on the web now and it's spider friendly too. <laughs> The most dad joke I've yeah. ever heard out of Larry. Like, Larry, sometimes he says things that don't make any sense or that's kind of weird. But, like, that was the only thing where I was like, Larry made me kind of cringe. Like, I was just mm. like, oh, Larry, no. No. <laughs> that's so that's so hack. Um, oh, just a thing, just a side note as far as that DDP interview. Yeah. It, it could have helped if they mentioned that he was in the tournament at that point. Oh, sure. That's mm. true. You know, especially since, like, are you friends with the NWO? Are you going to try to get that belt? Right. That sort of thing. Some very generic WWE Network uh, music is dubbed in, so oh. I have no idea what this was originally. <laughs> and out comes a Mexican wrestler we've never seen before, Tony Pena. Hmm. He's in a blue jacket with some red and white trim uh, and art on it. I couldn't quite make it out. Uh, he's wearing a black singlet with a Roman numeral four on it, which is a clue to his actual identity. Uh, any either of you guys figure out who that was? I. You told me not to look it up, but I still knew what it indicated. Okay. So, yeah, you, yeah, you just figured it out. Oh, yeah. Boar, you got it? Yeah, immediately. Yeah. <laughs> this is an unmasked Villano 4. Real name, Tomas Diaz Mendoza. He was trained by his father, Ray Mendoza, who was a boxer and professional wrestler using several gimmicks in his day, uh, and his brother, Arturo, who is Viano 3. After spending a year getting some ring experience, he was deemed worthy of the Viano name and worked in teams with his brothers in CMLL, AAA, and other smaller Mexican promotions. All five Vianos uh, are brothers, although confusingly, Tomas is the fifth son, but the fourth Villano. Okay. Well, whatever he, he debuted last night in his mask in the in the Battle Royal under his normal name. Okay. Uh, this is, of course, did you figure out what's going on here? Why or, he's out without a mask under a fake name? Oh, why he's without a mask? Yes. Um, boy, I don't. 
that's it's confused. If he was in the battle royal the night before, yeah, I can only assume like the mask is lost. What do you think, Bor? You got you? Do you know or do you have a theory? Um, yeah, I'll give, I'll give you guys a clue. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Go ahead, Bor. No, go ahead. The clue is that the name, uh, the name he is wrestling under is uh, important. He is billed tonight as Tony Pena. Um, I'm aware of the baseball connection, but is that that would be nice because uh, yeah. I do like to talk '90s baseball. But it is actually uh, this is a result of Conan's ongoing feud with AAA promoter Antonio Pena. Oh, <laughs> so they have just brought out a guy to be a jobber and given him the name Tony Pena as just a little way of making fun of Antonio Pena on Nitro, a joke that <laughs> probably nobody in 96 who wasn't reading The Observer mm-hmm. would have got. It is such a small niche joke, but that is what they're doing here. See, I, I always forget that in wrestling, things could get really petty. <laughs> <laughs> You know, um, yeah, it was kind of just a thing with Conan, but I think now that uh, Pena just announced in that press conference we talked about in our last Worldwide episode that he's got a working relationship with the WWF. He's going to have some people in the Royal Rumble Mm -hmm. coming up in January. So I think that was enough for Bischoff to be like, yeah, let's let's make fun of this guy a little bit. Why not? Right. Uh, Out comes Pena's opponent, the television champion, Lord Steven Regal. Tony points out that he's the only heavyweight WCW champion remaining. It's a really weird distinction because, of course, uh, Dean is the cruiserweight champion mm-hmm. and he's WCW, not NWO. But sure, he's the only heavyweight and uh, WCW champion. Yeah. He, the two commentators, they kind of argue semantics for a little bit here. And it's just really it's like. I, I see what you're doing, but it's yeah. like, it's not very impressive. <laughs> it's just not impressive. Larry says that Regal is one of the most pompous men that Larry has ever stepped into the ring with. And I decided to look it up and they were having matches uh, for this very belt. Yes. On a house show tour only two years earlier. And I think also had some televised and maybe pay-per-view matches for it as well. Yeah. I mean, Larry Zabisco beats him for the television title in 1994, just two years I, ago. I there. believe that was at my first show or oh, nice. the next month. I know they wrestled at that slam though. Cool. Yeah. It has been a month since we've seen Regal defend his belt on Nitro. Uh, it was against Juventud Guerrera last time. And uh, between him and Disco, it feels like Christmas has come a month early here on Nitro. <laughs> all my right. friends are coming home to roost. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, here to call all the action is our own Lord, Dave Amantorp. Oh, um, I did make my first note was that is Tony Pena also Viano 4? Uh, because yes. I, you told me not to look it up. But then I saw like the form like, okay. Yeah, like, it, it makes it pretty like, why does this guy have that if uh, <laughs> for any other reason? But. but the Tony Pena thing, I would never have gotten that. Yeah. You gave me the whole night to try to figure that out. <laughs> never. Um, there's, it's also, there's also a weird thing where, where Tony Schiavone says, it's interesting that, that Tony Pena is a, a, a Mexican wrestler that is not wearing a mask. Right. Which he points out right away. And the fact that he usually does have a mask, is it just... The comment's just weird. I, I'm not sure what to get out of that. Yeah, m- maybe they were trying to make a little subtle. Maybe they were just joking, having an in-joke between right. themselves just about what like, was going on. Notice he's not wearing a mask. Right. This is intentional. <laughs> uh, so the two begin the match with wrist locks, culminating in a regal body toss. There's a lot of like volleying for bis- position in this match as the two exchange headlocks and hammerlocks, with neither, neither man really gaining a significant advantage. 
Regal survives a clothesline and spin kick long enough to drop Pena with a drop toehold. Honestly, it's like uh, Tony Pena hits a clothesline and Regal just like kind of sucks it up. It's a mm. very weird way to sell. I just, I, or maybe it's not weird, but just unusual. He just kind of stands there and takes it, hmm. uh, which you kind of, that's like for usually for like big men wrestlers, but I mean, he is bigger than Tony Pena, but either way, it just, I thought it was kind of odd. He is. And yeah, he's Regal's getting a little bigger every time we see him right now. That's also true. Uh, Regal hits Pena with forearms and palm strikes in the corner, but Pena counters with a DDT for a two count. Regal eventually gains upper hand with a double underhook suplex for two, then drops Pena for the Regal stretch and the submission victory. This match is like two bits long. <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, back-to-back short little matches here. Again, uh, the whole point is squashing a guy with yeah. a name of a guy we don't like. <laughs> um, but I was going to point out that this is a very physical match for mm-hmm. the two minutes because Regal's chest is just red all over from the chops that he was taking. And the fact that they did that in like two minutes is pretty incredible. I think Regal really, uh, he loves different styles and he seems to really like working with luchadors, especially. Yeah. I know he says that he, um, that Juventud, he is, or no, is I uh, psychosis. I think that psychosis is one of his favorite opponents that he ever oh, okay. had. Um, so I, yeah, I think he just really enjoys having these matches with these guys. I, I don't even remember him wrestling psychosis. I think it's coming up in December. It might even be in a house. It's just something he mentioned in his book. I oh, okay. Uh, Bor, what do you think of the match? Um, the thing I noticed was Regal's worldwide experience in this match because Pena probably doesn't speak English very well. Um, so they had a lot of spots in there that you can just do if you, you know, accustomed to, uh, Mexican wrestling or European wrestling or, you know, uh, hold for hold wrestling in general, mm-hmm. um, things that don't require a lot of cooperation or communication between the two. Um, even and is it the, just, is it picking up on like a body language thing? You just see a certain motion from your opponent and you know what he's going yes. for and you just kind of feed that. Yes. Yeah. You just kind of, you kind of go with it. And, um, even some of the things that Regal did, like, I think it was after the butterfly suplex, he wanted to pin him three different times. Well, that eats up like 30 seconds, and that's 30 seconds that you don't have to be up on your feet mm-hmm. figuring out what to do next with somebody who doesn't speak the same language as you. Um, so I, w- I just watched that, and I was like, wow, it's, that's masterful. Have you been in that position? Have you faced someone yes. where there's a language barrier? Yes, yes. I faced, uh, oh, I don't remember their names, but it was King of Trios 2016, I believe. Um, I had the privilege of wrestling three Japanese women, um, and that was quite the experience. I'll have to, I'll have to find that online somewhere. Yeah. Regal pulls some faces, and Shivani lets us know that this week, Nitro is sponsored by PlayStation and Tobal Number 1, <laughs> a game that he claims is the first 3D fighting game, but I'm going to go ahead and disagree with him because I believe that Virtua Fighter should hold that distinction. All right. How dare he? <laughs> How dare he besmirch Virtua Fighter and Jackie, the guy where you just press kick over and over again, and he would do spin kicks, and you could win, like, the first three rounds until the computer got too hard to beat. You're looking something up. I want to talk about Virtua Fighter, Dave. I was looking up the King of Trios 2016. <laughs> um, and I, I, I did find the names, but I can't pronounce any of them. Did either so of you, have you ever heard of Tobal Number 1, though? I've never even heard of that. Tobal game. Number 1? That's Yeah, I, it, I looked it up. That is the name. It's like T-O-B-A-L. No. It's a, it's a fighting game from for the PS1. I just, I'd never heard of it. I've no. heard of it now. I was a Sega and N64 kid, so ah, there nothing. You go. Tony throws it to Mean Gene, who is in the aisle with Rick Steiner. 
I'm always ready. I thank you very much, Larry and Tony. Ladies and gentlemen, joining me at this time, one of the great Steiner brothers, Rick Steiner. Rick, you know, I was on a shelf here for a couple of months, and I understand you were out of town, so to speak, for some time. Where were you? Gene, I was in Japan doing what we do best. Wrestling. That's it. You know, one thing I want to make clear is my brother and I are 110% WCW. What, what a mess we come back to here at World Championship Wrestling. Gene, I come back, I see Sting coming from balconies, dropping on people. He comes up, sneaks up behind guys, and dropping them. What is he doing? What about this, this Marcus uh, do, uh, uh, Bagwell tonight? What about, I, you know, Lex Luger, he weathers the storm. He's WCW. And maybe Roddy Piper. Roddy Piper, he's WCW, 100%. There's no doubt. Well, you take a look at this NWO, it definitely has infiltrated the ranks of World Championship Wrestling. And as far as I'm concerned, it is the biggest single mess that this organization has ever been in. It's going to take people like you and your brother to pull us out. I tell you what, you got to have some guts. Don't do these NWO guys like Piper says. When we get through them, it'll be no way out. Thank you very much, Rick Steiner. Laying it all on the line here on WCW Monday Night Go. Don't go away. We have got more action coming up right around the corner. Gene says that he was out for a while and points out that we also haven't seen the Steiners recently either. Rick says they've been in Japan, but he and his brother are 100% WCW. Rick talks about how crazy it is to come back and see Sting coming down from the balcony and asks what Sting's doing. Rick says Lex is definitely WCW, and Gene says that Lex is, and maybe Piper is too. Rick agrees that Piper is 100% WCW and says there's no doubt, even though every time he's talked about it, Piper himself has said <laughs> right. that he doesn't care about WCW. <laughs> I mean, it works perfectly because Rick Steiner's character is not a genius, right? so it's fine, but it's pretty funny that Piper has been very clear on this point. So during this whole interview, I was just really focused on, on watching Rick Steiner's reactions. Yeah. And anytime he's not speaking, you can see his eyes kind of darting back and forth. Like he's really trying to follow what Mean Gene Okerlund is saying. It's hard to, for him to understand human speech, I think. I I think he has it's a conscious effort for him. And not only that, but like you could tell that he's paying attention, but then he gives an answer that doesn't sound like he's paying attention at yeah. all. <laughs> He's low-key one of my favorite characters in WCW. Like, we just don't get him enough. I feel Well, although maybe more would be overexposure. Yeah. We just... It, I We've gotten way more Rick Steiner promos that I kind of remember getting. Cause, um, especially because Steiner's been... Or Scott has been dealing with a hip injury. Mm -hmm. So he's kind of been missing a lot more than Rick has. And just every time he talks, I just am, like, more baffled than the time before. And it's great. Sometimes I feel like that Gene Okerlund had a lot of like call as far as like who he interviews mm. because there's there's certain people like it seems like he enjoys interviewing Rick Steiner like he likes the just the wackiness of it yeah because um, he interviews like him a lot Benoit gets interviewed a lot Ric Flair there's like certain people that even if they're not necessarily doing anything to, on that show mm. like just get interviewed by Gene Okerlund and I wonder if that was maybe that was a thing where he was like oh no I would be fine doing an interview with him we can that play off each other pretty well or something like that. Gene and Rick that things are a dire situation in WCW right now, but Rick says that they need to stick with it. And like Piper says, it will be no way out. <laughs> just, just stick with it. <laughs>
during a commercial break, we get a new NWO ad that we haven't seen before for an Outsiders t-shirt featuring Scott Hall and Kevin Nash doing their typical loud, like, you couldn't exactly call them the class clown, but they're like the bully that thinks he's the class clown. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. The Dungeon of Doom music plays, uh, quotes around music, I suppose, Uh and out comes Conan, who has brought with him the Mexican heavyweight championship that he sometimes has. (laughs) (laughs) He'll be facing Eddie Guerrero, who gets pyro and a decent pop. As Eddie goes to the ring, we get the dynamite and the one-minute countdown to hour two. Tony clarifies, as the bell rings, that Bischoff will not be broadcasting tonight, and instead, Tony will stay on with Tanae and Heenan in hour number two. The observers in this time say that the plan is for the NWO to eventually get the first hour of the show. Um, And so then supposedly Eric Bischoff is going to be announcing with probably Ted DiBiase. Okay. So for right now, Tony is kind of doing double duty. Uh, Tony alludes to that possibility a couple times throughout the night. He keeps saying like, well, the NWO says they're going to take over Nitro. I I don't know when that's going to happen, but, Mm -hmm. you know, they kind of seem they're mentioning it enough that, you know, it's like a future plan they're building towards. In one issue, Meltzer claims, and this I'm going to put in the, the list of things that are in the Observer that I don't know that I quite believe, okay. that the reason why Eric Bischoff wants to structure it that way with uh, the NWO hour being first is that he wants to announce during the head-to-head hour with Raw because Ooh. Bischoff sees it as himself versus Vince, and he uh. wants to like literalize that with their <laughs> hours being the ones that go against each other. Cool, cool. <laughs> I mean, I, Eric does have the ego for that but i don't know that just feels like something that was fed to him to make eric look bad oh sure oh fed to big fed, dave. To, fed to dave yeah. yeah okay guerrero versus conan is another round one match in the u.s title tournament and as the bell rings conan starts in with a chop but eddie soon hits a wheelbarrow arm drag and a tilt-a-whirl head scissors Conan winds up on the outside, and Eddie hits his top rope plancha very early into the match, so I'm starting to think this one's not going long either. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Get your spots in while you can. (laughs) They get back in the ring and continue the action as Pyro explodes around them, and Tanae (laughs) takes over briefly, I think literally so just Tony can walk from the table at ringside (laughs) that he uses in hour one to the broadcast booth that's in the back. And just the idea of him, like, setting his headset down, walking back there. There's something very funny about it to me. And making sure you're, like, cutting to the camera so you're not seeing an announcer get up and walk away during a match. (laughs) (laughs) We see the pyro, the crowd, more pyro coming out of the entrance ramp before we finally go back to the ring where Conan wisely has a rest hold applied. (laughs) (laughs) I feel so bad for these guys each and every week who have to wrestle through all this pyro and just hoopla and stuff that just would be so distracting it it does seem like that the wrestlers are learning now that like no one's gonna be paying attention for this part this is a moment where like you said put a rest hold in bory ever have a match with pyro going off in the middle of it i wish that would be a (laughs) dream come true but no conan hits his rolling clothesline as bobby registers his disgust at hogan's actions last night conan hits a bridging fisherman suplex for two and then one of those weird submissions that it seems like Conan makes up on the spot. Yeah. (laughs) Where he's kind of, he's laying across Eddie's lap while Eddie sits on the mat and Conan has his arms pinned behind him in sort of a hammer lock. Mm -hmm. It's, it's like a weird child on Santa's lap kind of thing. I I don't, I swear he just makes these up. It feels like he's like, okay, let's grab an arm here. Oh, I got a leg here. Let's see what, let's, what what we can do with this. 
he then gets either another fisherman suplex that kind of looks like a brain buster. It, it's not like he botches something. It's just, I don't know. It's the way it's executed makes it look like a cross between the two. Mm-hmm. Conan then gets a gut wrench power bomb for two. Tony says that Eddie hasn't been 100% since Halloween Havoc, and I didn't look it up, but I swear the last time he was on the show, Eric Bischoff specifically said that Eddie was 100%. Oh, and it just, yeah, it's the yeah. fact that they both use the same phrase. Like, he's mm-hmm. the, he is 100%, and then two weeks later, he's not 100%. I don't know. Just bug me. Conan locks in an ankle lock, and Bobby says there's too many Guerreros. There's Larry <laughs> Guerrero, Mo Guerrero, uh-huh. Curly Guerrero, mm-hmm. and of course, Eddie is Shemp. There's Chavo, says Tony, and Bobby immediately says, please, I don't care. (laughs) Don't ruin the joke. (laughs) And and I like Chavo, but that's like really sums up Chavo. There's Chavo, please, I don't care. (laughs) Conan goes to the top rope for a flying nothing and gets an Eddie dropkick in return. Eddie hits nine corner punches and adds a European and adds a European uppercut as an exclamation point. In the corner, Conan floats over, but Eddie lays him out with a clothesline. Eddie calls for the frog splash, but Conan gets up and superplexes him from the top rope instead. Conan goes through the pin, but gets off at two in a show of pure arrogance. Hmm. He tries to powerbomb Eddie, but Eddie reverses it, sort of. It looked like he wanted to go for a head scissors. He, like, turns his body. He's got the head scissors applied, but nobody flips around and they just kind of flop to the ground with Eddie on top of Conan. Yeah. Um, at least he lands on top of Conan. So it looked like that would conceivably hurt and he gets the one, two, three. Uh, so the finish wasn't pretty, but I, I thought the match was fine. Bor, what did you think? This is probably the most motivated I've seen Conan. In a match. I would agree with that. Yeah. yeah so <laughs> yeah, again, like it wasn't necessarily pretty, um, but Conan looked motivated. So I guess thumbs up. Now, do you, when you're looking for new submissions, do you study old Conan matches? Oh, man. No, but I should. Um, Dave, what'd you think? I, I like the idea that um, when Conan was arrogant and got off the at, at two, that he immediately suffered the consequences of that. Sure, yeah. I think that I think in that aspect, it played off well, but um, it, it just was not a very, not a very good match, really. Yeah. I mean, especially since... If it's a shorter match, I think that like the finish of the match probably sticks out a little bit more, and that was just ugly. That was that was pretty ugly. <laughs> so. After a commercial, we come back to the broadcast booth, and they plug the replay of World War III tomorrow night on pay-per-view and show some stills of the event as the crowd chants Weasel. After an interminable slideshow, like, they just show so many slides of the event, I felt <laughs> like I was watching somebody's PowerPoint <laughs> at the office or something. The Dungeon of Doom music plays again for Big Bubba, who comes out along with Jimmy Hart. Rick Steiner is out next. No Scott to be seen with him this week. Rick yells at the camera for not being able to trust. Rick yells at the camera about not being able to trust Sting some more and then barks at the crowd. And here to call all the action is our own cat face troll, Dave Amantor. <laughs> right. Well, my first note on this match is uh, why is this match happening? <laughs> Which I don't get, I don't get an answer for. Uh, but anyway, Rick dumps Bubba out of the ring with a belly-to-belly suplex, then does a meeting of the minds with Bubba and Jimmy Hart. Bubba knocks over the ring step. Oh, Rick hits a double axe handle smash on the floor, and as he falls over, Bubba knocks over the ring steps. So it's a little bit 
maybe a little bit more dramatic than necessary for a double axe handle. Well, I think, yeah, I think Bubba's just kind of going down by them and he's like, ooh, this is going to make it look better. Yeah. And he shoves them. I, I liked it. I thought it was a, a nice little moment of improv to make it look a little more impactful. Uh, we're back in the ring and Rick hits another belly to belly suplex and his pin attempt is broken up by Bubba having his foot on the ropes. As Bubba counters a whip into the corner with a big boot, we pan to the crowd where Sting, oh goodness, bless his heart, Sting is trying to get to his, to the ring as quickly <laughs> as possible, but it seems like there is like a small obstacle course out there that he has to deal with. There's no, like I said earlier, there's no second level, so he can't do what he normally does, which is perch in the second level somewhere where he can easily kind of hop a barricade and get down and yep. walk to the ring. So here... What they've decided to do instead is just have him come from, like, the highest point of the arena. Right. But where he comes out of a door, yeah, he has to, like, zigzag through these aisles and go around and different Mm -hmm. guardrails. Yep. It takes forever for him to get to the ring. (laughs) It does. And you can tell that he is he's a little bit quicker paced than usual. Yes. And uh, you don't see him at first, but like after a bit, there's security all around him because I think they're just trying to like, we got to get him through the crowd. We got to <laughs> shove everyone, kids, women, old ladies, like we've right. got to get Sting to the ring. Uh, so so while Sting is uh, climbing over a guardrail, which I think he does twice, <laughs> as Rick hits a uh, second rope bulldog, then clotheslines Bubba over the top rope, which the referee is right there, but apparently is going to allow this. Sting then, yep. Yeah, this is when he climbs over the second guardrail, and yeah. he is like he's like catapulting himself over, trying to get to the ring as soon as possible. He gets to the ring as Rick Steiner and the referee are distracted by Jimmy Hart's antics. Sting hits a scorpion death drop on Steiner, then leaves. And Bubba, of course, he doesn't want to just pin him. He has to do kind of like a weak little splash on him first. Yeah, yeah like a standing <laughs> splash. A standing no splash. No momentum at all. <laughs> right. And covers him for the pinfall victory. Uh, so this this isn't really much of a match because you're missing most of it and it's not very long anyway. Yeah. The story here is the battle between Sting and the arena itself. <laughs> yes. Like trying to get there as soon as possible. He's increasingly looking desperate, like yeah. trying to like get the timing right. For his for all of his effort, he's there at the right time. Like the timing eventually does get pulled off, but it just looks like such an effort to get there. Yeah. And uh, it's not like any of this is necessarily, I mean, other than the long walk, that terrible. But I think you said it yourself, this isn't much of a match. And now that's like the third time in a row that we've said that. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that any taken individually would annoy me that much. But at this point in the show, I was really like, is this what we're doing tonight, guys? We're right. just going to keep doing this over and over again? Yeah. I was getting a, a little perturbed at, at these short matches. Bore, where were you at? Uh, I felt like Rick Steiner uh, said Beetlejuice three times because in that promo while he's walking to the ring, it's, I didn't know I couldn't trust you, Sting. Yeah. And he says Sting about six times in 10 seconds. Um, so Sting appeared and, and dropped him. Um, but yeah. Maybe after the Mean Gene interview, they were like, you know what? We need to make it clear why Sting is going to attack you. You didn't mention him enough. <laughs> so really <laughs> hammer the point home on your way to the ring, please. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, like you said, more of a segment than a match, if anything. And yeah, and that's kind of what we've been getting so far for all the matches, which I mean, I can understand like if one or two matches are just sort of a means of for a segment or a promo or something like that. But we have not 
been provided like a f- real full-on like match other than lex and arn uh, which yeah, was way back at the top of the show sure that already feels like a ways ago <laughs> a win is a win to big bubba who yells at the camera that wcw should beware because the dungeon of doom are the ones who are taking over <laughs> he yells about the nwo and the horsemen as a big old line of drool shoots out of his mouth <laughs> oh yes we're really concerned about the dungeon of doom <laughs> Thanks, Bubba. They're all over the show. Their music is like half of the show is just playing the dumb laughter. <laughs> That's what they're threatening him with. Listen, we're going to keep playing our music until you give in to our demands. See all these green lights? More needs to come. <laughs> right. After a commercial, Tony intros the Lee Marshall Road Report, this week coming from Dayton, Ohio, by reminding us of the fact that the Faces of Fear kicked the ever-loving shit out of Marshall last right. night. Yeah, I think Tony suggests that like, we're going to check in with whatever remains of Lee Marshall. <laughs> it's up, It sounds very yeah. dire. Pretty. Lee Marshall does not sell it at all, though. He's just still like, hey, I'm here in Dayton, Ohio. Like, <laughs> Pin the tail on the weasel. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, are you guys keeping track of all the um, all the weaselisms? Oh, we should. I've got them in my notes. I could okay. like make a quick spreadsheet. That'd be a good idea. Marshall says that he is battered and bruised, but a whole lot better since some fans invited him to their nitro party. Is he just walking the streets? Like, where does he always find these fans? He meets. Right. He is so good at meeting people. Yeah, he fi- he finds all like the of the many many nitro parties. That is being in Ohio. Lee mentions that the Ohio State Buckeyes are going to the Rose Bowl, uh, but then he has to go run and play, as Dave mentioned, some pin the tail on the weasel. <laughs> Rain's response is to crack jokes, implying that Lee Marshall gets plastered at parties and then passes out. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he, may, he, he makes some joke in which I I just did not get on whatsoever. It's something about like Lee Marshall later on is going to go for cigarettes and then three people are going to step on his hands. It's yeah, a it, very, was just more, it was more thing, I think, just implying that he passed out. I, I think it was just I, I don't remember. Yeah. I think it was that other people were going to go get cigarettes and they'd have to step over his body or something, I think was the idea. Yeah, it was. Some, yeah. he. But he was definitely like, if he's going to make another joke about being a weasel, I'm going to make him look like a drunk. So, yeah. Well, and bless the memory of Bobby Heenan. I would maybe not point out other people's <laughs> drinking habits were I him. I don't. Yeah. Cause I, <laughs> at some point during the show, too, someone made a mention of like, if you go back to hog wild and I was like, Maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> Out next are Psychosis and Ray Mysterio Jr. Normally I've got like some notes on their entrances, but really nothing happened. They came out, the yeah. bell rang. Mm-hmm. They started off with some chain lucha, and the announcers try to sell the pay-per-view by saying that you don't want to miss the crazy way in which Ray was eliminated from the Battle Royal. <laughs> now, it was pretty nuts, I'm going to admit that, but I don't know about spending $35 when I know the results of the show right. just to see how one guy did didn't win. Sonny <laughs> <laughs> Ono and Ultimo Dragon are shown scouting the match from the aisle. Ono shows off a Year of the Dragon t-shirt, uh, and my pedantic ass has to point out that 1996 was not the Year of the Dragon. Uh, the next Year of the Dragon wouldn't be until the year 2000. Hmm. So, yeah. Bullshit t-shirt there, Sonny Ono. <laughs> Uh, side note, important only to me, both my son and my dad were born in the Year of the Dragon, and I, uh, I think this will be of interest to someone uh, on this uh, podcast, I was born in the Year of the Boar. Oh, how about that? <laughs> well, then I was too, because we're the same year. 83? Yeah. There you go. Wow. Year of the Boar. 
And this year's uh, Year of the Boar. Oh, really? I didn't realize yes, that. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Should be my year then. You should have some Year of the Boar merch made up. I like should, a cool yeah. Chinese Zodiac design? That'd be, that'd be pretty badass, actually. I feel like I should be half off at this point, and I just don't know if that's worth the investment. Uh. <laughs> Psychosis lifts Ray to the sky and lets him crash down chest first onto the mat, the first real move of this match. Psychosis lifts Ray for a powerbomb, but Ray rolls over the top of him. However, Psychosis is standing with his back against the ropes, so that when Ray rolls over the top of his head, there's nowhere for him to go except all the way out and crashing onto the floor. Oh, bummer. Randy Anderson, for whatever reason, determines this is not a DQ. I right. guess it's the momentum rule. He yeah. causes his own momentum. Mm-hmm. He gets back in the ring, and Psychosis hits a scoop slam, who then heads the top rope for a guillotine leg drop for two. Psychosis sets Ray up on the top rope and tries for a splash mountain, but Ray counters with a Rana for a win in just about two and a half minutes. Mm-hmm. It's another one of these goddamn short little matches. <laughs> right. This one was maybe a little more exciting, and the finish didn't get botched. The the reversal worked, mm-hmm. um, but it's still it was. I'm getting really annoyed. What what's going on, Dave? Explain it. I <laughs> explain I what was going through their mind. <laughs> well, and it doesn't see. It doesn't feel like in between the matches where there's like a whole lot of content that needed like the extra time. Too. Right. I, I'm not really getting the idea. Well, I mean, I guess later on. I probably. guess this could have been three times as long if Sting hadn't had to walk to the ring for four minutes. <laughs> maybe <laughs> right. that's maybe they had were like, we got to cut it down. Right. Uh, Bore, what right, This is coming out of your match. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was it was another short match, but I was kind of pleased to see this match specifically on fast forward a little bit because Ray Psychosis is a match that's shouldn't be thrown out there just be thrown out there so the fact that it was shorter i think played to its advantage because these two can really tear it up um for 15 20 minutes at a time yeah um just so to see a shorter match between the two was refreshing and also a good way to not overexpose that matchup and then psychosis has got to be one of the greatest bases of all time like i think it's him and it's claudio and then it's everybody else sure after the match, Sonny Ono and Dragon look intimidated as Ray sells, hopefully just sells, his knee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm always worried when I see Ray favoring a knee, right? You never know. We go to Mean Gene, who is in the aisle with Chris Benoit and Woman. Thank you very much, Tony. Bobby, joining me, Woman, and Chris Benoit. What a weekend it was for you, sir. Take a look. Sullivan, take a good look. I'm still here. You didn't get rid of your problem, Sullivan. You made it worse. One man. One man. Not only was your best not enough, but the whole Dungeon of Doom wasn't enough to get rid of one man. Sullivan, look into my eyes, into my soul. What do you see? Your former self, you see the hunger, the desire, the need. There's two ways out of this, Sullivan. The man's way and the coward's way. Oh, I'm well aware of your corporate ties in WCW. I'm well aware of the fact that you know exactly what strings to pull to have me shipped out of here. But do you want to go out being remembered as a coward? To be honest with you, Sullivan, after this last Saturday night in Baltimore, 
I couldn't answer that. Tell him, woman. Woman, you Kevin, know, I, I've got to say, you're looking at this man a little differently. Kevin, I told you that if you kicked him one more time, that that was it. It was over. You said that it's been over a long time. Well, I'm making the decision. It's over. All right, I thank you very much, woman. Chris Benoit. My goodness, ladies and gentlemen. Where do we go from here? Stay tuned for WCW Monday Nitro. When we return. Benoit's in street clothes, and his fake bruises have been wildly toned down from just 24 hours since the pay-per-view. <laughs> yes. He has, no wonder they call him the rabid Wolverine. It's his, he's got the advanced healing factor. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Gene asks about the wild weekend Benoit had, and Benoit tells Kevin Sullivan to take a good look and see that Benoit is still standing. He says that Sullivan didn't get rid of his problems, but he made them worse. He points out that not only was Sullivan's best not enough, but the entire Dungeon of Doom was not enough to just get rid of just one man. Benoit tells Sullivan to look into his eyes, into his soul, and maybe he'll see a younger version of himself. The promo then kind of gets in its own ass a little bit with some of this work shoot stuff mm -hmm. about Benoit and who's the man and who's yeah. stooping woman. It's... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, he starts talking about how Sullivan has corporate connections and he could pull the right strings mm -hmm. to have Benoit fired. Uh, but that would be the coward's way out. Woman then tries to say whatever she'd had planned, but Jean just steamrolls over her to ask her what she thinks <laughs> about Benoit. Yeah. But she'd planned to talk to Sullivan. So he says, like, what do you think about the guy next to you? She ignores him completely. It yeah. just goes back to what she was going to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, she says that her and Sullivan have both threatened each other for a while that they were going to end it or that it's over. She doesn't really specify what it is, but I think by this point, most people watching can start to suss out what the idea is right. here. Yes. Uh, she is now making the decision. It's finally over. Uh, I still don't know that the average fan would, would quite know what the hell's going on here or be interested in it. Mm -hmm. It seems like, um, I, I, I just don't know. I think it's too insidery. I, I don't really... I don't know where it goes on screen. I, I know, unfortunately, where it goes off screen for all involved. But I just I don't I don't think I'm digging this angle at all. I think it's one of the few storylines like active storylines that really just turns me off every time they're doing a promo or there's just more talk about it. I'm yeah. just not interested at all. I did notice that during the during this interview that Oakland kept looking at woman expecting her to do kind of like her flirting with him. Yeah. And it just he because that's kind of what I think he was set for, and yeah. it just doesn't happen because like they she's kind of they kind of moved on to like the more serious tone. Yeah, and and given that it's all about a romantic entanglement, it would be it would like undermine that if she was flirting with him this time. All right, so good on her for not going down that path. All right, Benoit would have to feud with Okerlund, and <laughs> no one wants oh, to see God. that. Take That's Okerlund to the bathroom. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Yeah, this this storyline is never ending. It just keeps going. Unfortunately, like I didn't care as a kid. I don't care now. Um, it was so insidery for no reason. Like even yeah. my dad, who like had a pretty good grasp on wrestling, but didn't know like inside stuff. He watched. I remember specifically like we wa were watching some of this stuff, and he was like, "That's the guy in charge." Like he somehow knew Kevin Sullivan was in charge. Hmm. Like even without the commentary and stuff. Um, but my two things like who cares about this? Yeah, <laughs> and then. The other thing I wondered as a kid, I knew what the horsemen did to Dusty in the cage. I knew what they did to Dusty in the parking lot. I knew what they did to Sting at Texas Shootout. I knew what they did to Luger at uh, Class of Champions Miami Mayhem. I didn't understand as a kid, and I still don't know why, they did not just jump Sullivan out. 
just stomp his right. goofy behind mm-hmm. out and put an end to all this nonsense. And right. this carries on for another year. This is ridiculous. Like, you're the four horsemen. You do horseman things. When somebody's in your way and they're a pain and a nuisance, you break an arm, you break a leg, and if they come back, you do it again. Right. Yeah, and it's and, it, like this This particular like like set of the four horsemen are really, it's a weird how they kind of pick and choose what they, as a group, are interested in. Because sometimes Benoit seems like he's left out to dry when it comes to this feud. Or yeah. sometimes him and Mongo are their own thing. Yeah. And Arn and Rick have been like their own thing. Mm-hmm. And you'd think now, especially with Rick out and them dealing with the headache of Jeff Jarrett, like inserting himself into the group that they'd be a little more unified, but they do. Yeah. They still seem on like on like they're just in completely separate stories and they're not allowed to like touch, you know, the, the stories have to be completely yeah, separate or, or and Arn Anderson getting the torture rack just earlier on in the show. Like when that was happening in the back of my mind, I was thinking, is Benoit or Mongo going to come out and help him? Right. And it never happens. Uh, yeah. Who knows what the hell happened to Mongo? At least we see Arn and Benoit. I get, I get concerned if I don't see Mongo for a while. <laughs> Is he in jail somewhere? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm in jail, baby. <laughs> <laughs> they have to bring like the Halberton of money dip for bail. <laughs> we call him the horseman now. <laughs> After a commercial, we come back and Tony, Tanay, and Heenan introduce last night's contract signing segment. The entire 15 minutes of it. <laughs> Now, I'm not going to lie, as a busy guy who has to find time to write recap notes for these Nitros, I loved having a giant skippable section of the show. I was like, oh, sweet. I don't have to write anything for 15 minutes. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) And as a viewer, I'm of two minds. On the one hand, if I had seen this the night before, I'd be pretty annoyed that I had to sit through the entire thing again. Yeah. On the other hand, a few million people watch Nitro. Only 200,000 people bought the pay-per-view. So this is still serving more people than it is annoying. Um, So I guess all in all, even though me personally, I didn't like seeing it there and I thought it was redundant, Mm -hmm. especially, especially given that we've just watched four really, really short matches. Yeah. uh, I'm, I'm kind of annoyed, but it does make sense to a degree because it's a huge angle Mm -hmm. uh, involving the setup for their biggest pay-per-view of the year. Yep. So I guess you can make a case, Um, but I'm curious, uh, what do you think, Boar? And certainly, uh, we talked a lot about the segment when we did our World War Three episode. But uh, what do you think of the Piper Hogan angle from last night? I think it was one of Piper's better WCW promos or or segments that he was in because Piper tended to kind of go off into Piperland. Um, but with this, he was very focused and concentrated on what needed to be done, um, and did a good job with like the Vincent tie-in of like I taught you how to fight. Um, and another thing I noticed was like DiBiase, DiBiase somehow in these nitros, he always knows where the camera is at for, even for a company where he hasn't been working at for very long, sure. he pulls Virgil back just a little bit because he knows, excuse me, Vincent pulls him back just a little bit because he knows where the hard camera is. And I'm just like, DiBiase is, is a hard cam wizard. Um, <laughs> what a pro. Um, yeah. but the, the, my two other notes was, uh, Bobby did his best to tell us to, if you've seen us before, look at Piper's eyes. So at least... It tried to give something. Um, it tried to give something to viewers who saw this segment before, something new to look at. Um, yeah. Kind of like watching a movie a second or a third time. You might find something that you didn't find before. Um, and yeah, just a new way to kind of look at the same thing twice. 
And I, I skipped over it, so I don't have any additional notes for that. <laughs> After a break, Tony bemoans the group attacks the NWO as Alex Wright makes his way to the ring. Tony briefly stops the NWO discussion to say, Alex Wright in the ring, and immediately goes back to the NWO <laughs> as Jeff Jarrett makes his way down the aisle. Ah, oh, poor Alex Wright. Finally back on TV and no one's paying attention to him. Uh, here is where they show the girl in the sting makeup that yes. I mentioned earlier. Yep. Well, here to call all the action of Jeff Jarrett versus Alex Wright is her own Das Blunderkind. What? <laughs> Dave Amateur. Okay, so this match starts off pretty similar to Regal and Pena. Uh, with the two exchanging wrist locks before Jarrett pulls right down by the hair. Wright kips up and goes after Jarrett, who shields himself with the ropes. So right at the beginning, Jeff Jarrett is just like playing the heel, which I didn't really get the indication that that's what he was doing up to this point. He's been doing that the last few weeks. He's been okay. he's been making it a little more clear that he is, is a heel um, despite the horsemen stuff. So the horsemen have been weird in this incarnation anyway, mm-hmm. where like Rick has always been a baby face and as a group, they're sort of baby faces, but individually like R- Benoit okay. is a heel. He wrestles baby faces. So like it's their alignment is all kind of strange anyway. Okay. Uh, just as I was uh, typing that, Jeff uh, sucker punches right, but Das Wunderkind thwarts the offense, hitting two head scissor takedowns and a drop kick. Wright is whipped into the corner, tries to leap over Jarrett, only to be caught and hit with snake eyes on the top turnbuckle. There is some strutting by Double J, which again I mentioned he's like full on heel for this match. Yeah. Wright hits a back spin wheel kick and slings shots himself into the ring for a Vader splash in the corner for a two count. Alex then tries for another spin wheel kick, this time in the corner, but Jarrett moves. Immediately, Wright drops, indicating that his knee is injured, uh, which Double J capitalizes by slapping on a figure four leg lock for the submission victory. Because, yes, this was also a two-minute match. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But in another one where they they try to, like, just truncate, like, the whole story of, like, a a longer uh, match into a couple minutes. Um doesn't really doesn't really help Alex right other than that he was on TV I don't think anyone is interested in helping Alex right right <laughs> no. I don't think that's like a goal of anyone <laughs> that's true <laughs> I think if I'm not mistaken the last time he was on Nitro was the Jericho's debut with the oh, count out cool. where like technically yeah. the win went to right because Jericho gave it to him yeah <laughs> that didn't really help him either no it did not uh, this is WCW. Where we help each other. <laughs> Some terrible promo like that. What do you think of Jeff Jarrett here? Uh, uh, the only thing I have in my notes is that this is fair. <laughs> just fair. It's just there. Uh, yeah. Double J as a character is, um, I always called it shower heat. Whenever my mom saw Jeff Jarrett, she was like, that's it. Like, I'm done for the night. Like, <laughs> she's <laughs> wrapping it up. It's time to go to bed. She's. She, my mom always went, all right, like I'm, I'm going to bed. I'm getting ready, you know, watch wrestling, go to bed when it's over. Like, <laughs> I personally love Jeff Jarrett, but um, I can kind of see how he's not necessarily must-see um, TV, yeah. um, especially the, the end of hour two. <laughs> it's time to hit the showers. <laughs> That's great. I'm, I'm definitely using that phrase in the future. Jarrett struts and poses, and we go to commercial. When we return to the show, we see stills of last night's Battle Royal, including several of the giant eliminating Mysterio, which was supposed to be the reason I was supposed to buy the replay. Oh, God. 
As the faces of fear make their way to the ring, the third time that we've heard the Dungeon of Doom music tonight, by the way, <laughs> the announcers ponder whether the giant will try to get his title match with Hulk or not. The NWO has always stood as a cohesive unit, but the Giant has been champion as recently as three months ago. Can he really be expected to just pocket that title shot to protect Hogan? Perhaps Hogan getting Giant work in Hollywood is incentive enough to make him stay content. Uh, the Giant does have the most coveted title in the world. <laughs> That's yep, a good that point. Possession of it. So. Mm-hmm. I actually thought, like, as far as just kind of announcer bantering to kill time went, that I really liked it. I thought they broke down the various questions that you have naturally as part of an nwo member winning that i thought that was a good breakdown i I really liked their that little section of commentary harlem heat comes out next along with sister sherry a few guys in the crowd have on oh i just have a note a few guys in the crowd have on those big novelty hats that people liked in the 90s (laughs) it's like a cat in the hat hat or like a jester hat you know Oh, sure yep you just picture those like people with four XL clothes on going to a rave with a pacifier in their mouth. <laughs> anyway, these guys went to Nitro. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Good for them. Meng and Stevie start out carefully circling each other until Stevie kicks Meng and gets some clubbering blows to the back. Stevie sends Meng into a corner and charges him with a clothesline. Bobby refers to the humanoids and Tony says that line is getting a little old. Well, some of the humanoids are getting a little old, concedes yep. the brain. Uh-huh. Tony likes that. Tony's just like, oh, you got me. Ah, you. <laughs> Meng stops selling and hits some strikes. Meng chokes Stevie on the ropes, but Stevie escapes and catches Meng with a big boot. Meng totters before falling to the mat. Stevie doesn't go for a pin or anything, but Barbarian comes into the ring anyway and kicks him right the fuck in the face. <laughs> Booker comes in and gets both faces of fear with Harlem sidekicks. Tony starts telling us about one of the scenes from last week that he'll never forget, but Bobby says, but Bobby interrupts and says that Tony already forgot it. No, I didn't, argues Shivani, who tries to tell his story before realizing that he has indeed now forgotten. (laughs) I knew it, said Heenan. I thought that was like a rare moment where Tony managed to play with the guy next to him. Like he got fed it. Tony's thing is always somebody kind of sets up a joke. And Tony just is, like, too straight-laced to go along with the joke. Yeah. So the fact that Tony made himself look like the idiot by starting the story and then be like, oh, you know, I, I forgot it. <laughs> I was like, just look at you. You're getting so much better at this. <laughs> I'm so proud of him. <laughs> Stevie holds Meng for a side slam and Booker leg drops him. Barbarian kicks both members of the Heat to stop their momentum. Barbarian tags himself in as Booker and Meg rung the ropes. Meng does the spot that they've done over the last like three or four weeks where he back body drops Booker into the barbarian's arms who then power bombs him. Yeah, I love it. It's this one uh, isn't silky smooth, but if anything, that just makes the barbarian look even stronger Mm -hmm. the way that he catches him anyway. I like it for how much the barbarian likes to do it. Yes. He he always is like so fired up when he does that. (laughs) I would be like, it should be in every match of his. I agree. Barbarian tries for a cover, but Stevie breaks it up. The Faces of Fear drop down at Stevie with dual headbutts. Tony claims that the Faces of Fear are on a, quote, incredible winning streak in WCW. Hmm. He points out that they didn't get pinned in the tag team match last night, which is still not a win, I'd like to point out. But he also forgets that they lost to Mongo and Benoit just a month ago at Halloween Havoc. Not really an incredible win streak. Less than a. I mean, it's not even really much of a win streak if you think about it. <laughs> no, Let they're alone. not winning in a streak. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> men covers, but Stevie makes a save, and all four men start brawling. Randy Anderson has lost all control. 
Brain says there's no way to keep straight who is the legal man. It's Meng and Booker T, says Tony. <laughs> Immediately. <laughs> Meng keeps the pressure on with kicks and a backbreaker for two. Stevie Ray attacks Meng, who is trying to pile drive Booker. Barbarian runs in, and they all brawl again as Tony wishes us a happy Thanksgiving week. <laughs> Stevie and Barbarian end up on the floor. The brawling continues and outruns the entire NWO, minus Hogan, who has the week off, right. and Bischoff, who's not part of their physical attacks. Yes. They attack both teams, the highlight of which is... Uh, oh, I said Randy... It's not Randy Anderson. They attack both teams, but the highlight is Mark Curtis surveying what's going on around him and then sprinting out of the ring yes. with a speed that suggests he did not stop until he reached his rental car and drove to his hotel. He is a blur leaving yep. the ring. Uh, Bagwell is fitting right in with his new buddies, posing and brawling and attacking. He, he looks like uh, he's going to have no problems in the NWO. Trash flies and the giant choke slams Meng. The NW oppose and Bagwell mimes batting the trash out of the air, which I was like, perfect. Yeah, that's exactly the kind of dickhead thing a guy in the NWO would do. I loved right. it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the end of that match. It's the end of the show. Uh, I thought the match like they finally gave us a match of some length. So maybe I liked it for that reason. Um, I don't know. I, I guess I expected a little bit more with like a big mean guy match. But it was fine. There was nothing wrong with it. Maybe not the best main event I've ever seen, but it 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 was an okay closer. What do you think, Dave? Um, it just sort of seemed like it was a, a setup for the NWO to come down. I don't know. I I I just feel like I've seen these two teams also face each other enough times where I'm like I get the idea of what happens with them. Sure. So, um, but again, barbarian power bombing. Someone is always yeah. awesome to see, yeah. especially if it's difficult and he has some muscles way. It just, it looks cool, more impressive that way. Sure. But I, I really, I don't feel like I really took much away from that match. Bor, how did you like our main event tonight? It was four big dudes going at it. Um, but it also kind of screamed NWO beatdown segment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, that barbarian power bomb is super impressive. Um, forgiving or taking it is <laughs> it is quite the task <laughs> um but yeah um bagwell fit right in with the nwo it really took no time and i i like the the highlight of the nwo's kind of jumping tag teams which bagwell's like you know me and my partner had trouble in the tag team division so maybe they're kind of doing bagwell solid like hey we're your <laughs> partners now we'll beat up yeah. these dudes with you we'll do what Riggs couldn't do um yeah all right well uh for the show overall I thought, uh, I mean, on the one hand, the short matches keep it kind of moving pretty quickly. Sure. Like, you never have enough time, except for the replay of the pay-per-view. There was no not enough time in anything to get bored by it, mm-hmm. I thought. Um, but I, I probably would have rather have, instead of five really short matches, all bunched up like that, maybe put two in the beginning, have a decent five to eight minute match, and then maybe another short match. Like, they could have just structured the show differently, and they still could have included that long replay. Just cut a couple. It's not like you have to get all these guys in every show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love Lord Steven Regal. We don't need to see him crush Tony Pena, right. a guy who's not even a real guy. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that just doesn't need to happen. Yeah. Um, so I, I was kind of frustrated by that, but... Uh, I really liked the NWO promo and the Bagwell turn, the the angle with the American males. Uh, we got some development with Sting. Uh, I always love a Rick Steiner promo. DDP was repetitive, but the delivery was good. 
So kind of overall, I'd say this was a slightly above average show. I, I was not, it didn't feel like a, a chore to get through. It just wasn't amazing. Nothing like really drew me in all that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dave, what'd you think? Um, probably, I would probably think higher of it if it wasn't for that long replay towards the end. I, I can see like the idea if you have a, a bunch of like really short matches, as long as like if they make sense within those few minutes, um, in order to get as many guys out there as possible, I could, I could be okay okay with that if that is the way that they kind of approach like for future yeah uh, nitros. There were you know there's a couple of storylines where I'm kind of like just just move on already like uh, um, like the Benoit. Kevin Sullivan won. Mm-hmm. Um, Diamond Dallas Page and his issue with the NWO. Um, but and there's there's interesting things for next week, which is always a that's a plus to come out from a Nitro if you're like, oh, I'm looking forward to seeing this next week. Like the the, the 30 day notice about yeah. the contracts. Yeah, that's a great development. I, I'm really looking forward to seeing where that goes. Yeah, and then you would figure that since there was no Piper or Hogan that. One of them, to some extent, will be on next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that it, it could also not be there. Um, we'll have two more uh, tournament matches and, and have a better idea of what like the semifinals and finals are going to look like. Hopefully, the women's tournament will make a reappearance. Oh, that's right. They have another <laughs> tournament going on for a championship. That's right. Um, so I I think there are, there are interesting things to look forward to next week. And yeah. in some aspects, that's a really good Nitro then. Bor, what did you think of the show overall? I think it did a good job of wrapping up the pay-per-view from the previous night, but also reestablishing and establishing what is important moving forward. DDP is the in or out of the NWO, the U.S. title tournament. Um, Bagwell joining the NWO, the 30-day contract, or yeah, 30 days for the contract to switch over from WCW to NWO. Those are kind of the main storylines. And then is Giant going to cash in or use his title shot against Hogan? Um, those are kind of the main things and sting with NWO. Um, yeah, they kind of just kept it moving and kind of told the audience, okay, like in the next four weeks, this is what's going to be important. Um, so yeah, I would probably give it like a six and a half out of 10, um, slightly above average, like you said. Yeah, I think that's, that's about right where I would slot it. All right. Well, the last thing that we normally do on the show is we name our match or segment of the night and our MVP. But before we do that, Bor, I want to give you an opportunity uh, get your plugs out there. You got dates, you got social media, you got uh, merch, anything you want to plug. This is this is your time. Absolutely. Uh, July 13th, I will be at uh, Flying Bee Fights. And then I will also be at uh, Let's Hang Out. And I have to make sure I have my Friday right on that. But I believe that's July 19th. Um, or just check Twitter. It's somewhere up there. Um, we all have technology. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. those are my upcoming dates uh, in the near future for the month of July. I'm always looking to add more dates, always want to travel, all that good stuff. Um, and back if someone wants book, to book you, where do they get at you? Bookthebore at gmail.com. Uh, slide in my DMs. They're, they're always open. Um, yeah, I always bring merch to shows. Even if you're not going to buy anything, please come hang out, talk with me, talk to me. I'm a huge Yankees fan, um, a Ooh. huge baseball fan. Oh. In general. Uh, that's, <laughs> you that's cannot come cue. on this show and say you're a Yankees <laughs> fan without some booing. Oh, that's we are, Dave and I are Twins fans. Uh, it has not been so good against the Yankees it for the last not. ever 20 years or so. <laughs> for the last <laughs> ever. Especially in like that first week in October. It's oh. Yeah, 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 it's it's been a constant <laughs> headache. It doesn't not doesn't matter what players we have. Uh, the 
management, the front office, it can all turn over and it like it just doesn't seem to matter. Right. There's like this this stigma we just can't get past. It's driving me crazy. This could be the year. You guys look really good. I just you know, hopefully we miss you in the playoffs. That's that's my <laughs> that's my <laughs> knock on wood moment. Please take out Boston or somebody. That'd be fine with me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, stop by. See me at the tables. I love talking to people. Um, even if you're not going to buy anything, you know, no pressure. Um, just come hang out and talk wrestling and sports with me, movies, whatever. Um, but yeah, that's that's pretty much me. Pretty simple. All right. Well, it's time for our match and our segment of the night and our MVP, Dave. Let's start with you. What was your segment of the night? Um. Boy, I was not ready for a segment. <laughs> you know we do it every episode, right? Yeah, but I, I thought I was going to have some time to think about it. <laughs> All right, I'll go first. Okay. Uh, my segment of the night was was definitely the Bischoff promo and the American Males angle. I thought the promo was great. I liked the angle. I liked the 30 days thing. I hope we see that continue to develop. New guys join. Other guys refuse. Uh, I thought that segment was really, really good. And uh, let's be honest, the show overall didn't have a lot of other things that I would slot in that spot. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was an easy choice for me. Uh, proletariat Boar of, Mordo- of Moldova will go with you next. Hey. What was your segment of the night? Segment of the night to me was the NWO um, Bischoff segment um, with Bagwell joining the NWO. All right. Well, now the pressure's really on you to come up with something different. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> what was my, your day? What was your segment of the night? My my segment of the night was the adventures of Sting trying to get to the ring. <laughs> Fair enough. Because that he was putting in a good effort, and the fact not only did he have to go through like all these different obstacles, but he right reached the ring right on time. So, I almost made mine mark curtis sprinting from the ring because i made a gif of it and i watched that gif like a thousand times yeah i thought it was so funny all right uh mvp of the night Bor, let's start with you who is your mvp my mvp of the night goes to one marcus soon to be buff bagwell uh this is a guy who has been typecasted as a baby face because of his look and appearance mm-hmm. uh for the last six years and Anybody who has had to talk about Buff Bagwell since then has always said that he is a natural heel. He is always about himself. Um, so when he finally gets a chance here to show some heel tendencies, he takes like a fish to water. Yes. Um, you can tell that he has been waiting for this opportunity. And he, he makes the most of it. He makes every minute count. His facial reactions, the swatting the trash in the air, like you said, jumping people. He made the most out of this night. To me, this was his night, and this really sets him up. We'll continue to see, but this really sets up the rest of his career on this night. This is a make-or-break night, and he makes the most of it. I have similar reasons for choosing my MVP, uh, somebody who uh, has been doing a babyface role, for, for or at least a neutral role for quite a while, who has given into the dark side and found that that is really the natural place for their character, and that is Eric Bischoff. Uh, mm-hmm. the guy is for better or for worse, even when he's being just a regular human being talking to you at the bar an experience that I've had at Starcast. there's a smarmy superficial element to the guy. <laughs> um, and it just makes him sort of like a, it just rubs you the wrong way. And for him to tune into that and just jack up the volume on it and make it into this great on-screen character. Uh, I think it's fantastic. I love the way that just walking down the aisle, 
you get a sense of what a supreme dick this guy is. <laughs> he really just nailed it out of the park, and it's. I'm really looking forward to uh, to seeing Eric Bischoff heel come out. I know we'll probably get sick of it at some point, mm-hmm. but him coming out and cutting heel promos on Nitro is something that, for a while, I'm sure that I'm really, really going to enjoy. Right. Uh, Dave, who is your MVP? Uh, I will give mine to Marcus Alexander Bagwell as well. Um, not only did... Again, he seems like he has the personality to pull it off, but uh, when they came out and did the the beatdown at the end, he didn't seem out of place. Right. Uh, the fact that he blended in so naturally um, suggests to me that, like, yeah, this is this is the thing that he is meant to do is to be a heel and to and um, it's really unfortunate for Scotty Riggs. So, because like, yeah, like yeah. you said, I mean, it's it's just. I don't see it ending very well for him, sure. to be honest. But uh, no, I, I would say Marcus Alexander Bagwell for sure. All right. Well, Bor, I want to thank you so much. You uh, you did so much work. Uh, I mean, people just hear the podcast and they go, that you, you know, you just you guys talk about Nitro. But you watched a three-hour pay-per-view. You watched a two-hour Nitro. And you came and you talked Nitro with us for another couple hours. Uh, so we just really, really appreciate you putting all that time into into our podcast. And uh, thank you so much for being a guest. I don't look at it as work at all. This is all things I would be watching anyways. So <laughs> the, the fact that I'm able to come on and talk talk about it with people who also really uh, have a love and passion about this time in wrestling, uh, the pleasure was all mine. I appreciate it. And uh, hopefully uh, you guys will be able to have me on again. Absolutely. This was awesome. Yeah, you will always be uh, welcome here. Where the big boys play. (laughs) 20 years of Nitro. And uh, one of the scenes I will never forget was last week. You just forgot it. No, I didn't forget it. I was calling. Now I forgot. I knew you would.